Well, a good Thursday morning to you, and thank you for tuning in to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you, along with the intrepid Samuel G. Brooks, senior producer of this show. Good morning. We've got a good show in store for today. You ready to go? You're all buckled in. Betcha. I see, because because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Four guests, uh, as it stands right now, and you never know what might happen. If news develops between now and the end of today's show, maybe we'll hear from more. But in just a second, we're going to be hearing from a respiratory therapist that was among the first in the province of Alberta to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Robin Strain will be joining us uh, out of the University of Alberta Hospital coming up in just moments. We're also today going to be talking to political scientist uh, Dr. Jared Wesley. We're going to be talking about some numbers in the province of Alberta that show uh, where people are feeling right now with political inclinations, how COVID-19 is is impacting how people are feeling. So we'll get into that data, some pretty interesting stuff. We're also going to talk to an artist, um, April is going to join us coming up in the 10 o'clock hour, and I'm very excited to check in with her, April Prescott. I We've not spoken before. I don't know much about her, but I did see yesterday after we spoke with John Mark Earl. I'm not sure if you saw that uh, or not. That, that uh, interview was one of the wildest interviews that I've ever been a part of. Uh, John Mark Earl marking the one-year anniversary of his first ice bath in Peace River, in the Peace River, and he took us literally into the river yesterday it was absolutely incredible uh minus 26 with the wind chill he and his son jeremiah were in there for what sam a couple of minutes i think they were in the water for i think it was about two minutes yeah two minutes uh so it was minus 17 it was minus 26 with the wind chill you can they had they obviously got into the water with axes like they had to clear an area totally bananas and april uh, following that interview, puts out this piece of art. I retweeted it. If you want to see it, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Jesperson and and um, sort of immortalized John Mark Earl with one of the quotes. And as a matter of fact, I can just read it right here on my on my MacBook Pro because I actually, and you know, I'll tell April this again when when we check in with her today. But I made it my desktop background. Well, her, yeah, her I, art. I, I, it's like, it's pe- phenomenal. Keep doing art of our show i know right so yeah. look, at, look at what she did here this this of uh, john mark earl it's absolutely incredible and she quoted him uh, something he told us some choices require us to embrace discomfort and to remain in control those things determine how we move through our life <laughs> pretty beautiful right especially given that like this is the live quote he gave us while he was sitting in a river on yes. live like live, I was gonna say TV. This isn't really TV. Live, live YouTube. Yeah, it's, sure we'll a live, it's a live broadcast. It's a live broadcast. You know, a, I kind it's of a live show. <laughs> yeah, you know, I kind of had in my head that like, if we got to the day where we were doing live hits from things, like you know, we rent an F fifty five and I go out there and actually do like a broadcast. Setup Nobody knows and do, like, what a, an F fifty five is. Big you're... broadcast camera that there sits you on go. your shoulder. There yeah, you go. the big forty and, and, pound camera. Yeah, and like you know, we do it upright. We do it like a broad. No, no, our first ever like you know live on location hit was a was a guy diving into the river. Yeah, it was great. There you I go. loved it. And, and, this and, is real talk. This is what we do here. I don't, I don't see any of the big broadcast players going live from Peace River, taking you into the water. I don't see anybody doing. See, they were just throwing a little shade here. <laughs> Speaking of shade, um, did you? Uh, are, are, can we switch to our GoPro shot? We've got, we've got, to, we've got to find a sponsor for that camera. Who, who wants to sponsor this camera? What is there anything that you see right now, friends? So Eric Chung yesterday, or not yesterday, but Eric Chung a few days ago became the first Real Talk audience member to correctly note that our on-air light had flipped around. 
So, Sam, can you take, uh, is it camera one, the shot on me? Can you yeah, take the shot on me for a second? So, Eric correctly identified here. It's always like trying to read in a rearview mirror. But yeah. right there, Eric identified that previously that had been uh, when you took Sam Brooks' shot. We'll call it camera two for now. Uh, Sam, it's actually camera three. It's three. What's one? One is you. Two is guest, which is not hooked up right now. Oh, and, right. And because, three is me. Because of our COVID. Yeah. Look at Sam. See, his. it's Sam's humility. He's putting the guest before himself. So Sam is camera three. Does that make our GoPro for now camera four? Yeah. So we, 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 have, have, we have one, three, and, and four. It's, we have one, it's three, a, and it's, four It's a action. complicated setup. Okay. So on three now, you can see that the on-air light is backwards. So on one, the on-air light is correctly reading on-air in the reflection of our plexiglass. Um, Eric Chung was the first to identify that on our YouTube stream, and he earned two points. Which he, he said he's saving he's to saving. cash in at another time. It makes sense he would save his points uh, because right now, and everybody's like even the hardcore Real Talk fans that you, you watch every day live and you're going, wait, points? What? I should. It's not a thing. All we know, we don't have points. We don't have a system yet. We don't really have a tally. It's easy to track now because Eric Chung is the only person with points. And he has two of them. And, and someday... He's gloating about them right now. It, well, he should be. Yeah, I know. So he's back right now live again? You know <laughs> he what? Is. Oh, yeah, he's in, the, he's in the chat right now. You know now. what? You know what? As a matter of fact, because Eric happened to be here right now, not knowing I was going to talk about him. Not, But here he is again. Eric, you know what? Three points for you now. Eric's now got three points. <laughs> now... If we can take camera four, Sam, which is up for grabs, uh, potential sponsors. I, I like how this is the first time you've learned the camera numbering. Well, because why have I needed to know the numbers? <laughs> That's true. You don't. You know, there's a lot of other numbers swirling around in my head. <laughs> I don't need to know the camera number. <laughs> but, it is, but it is good to know because now I can say, Sam, take, take camera three. We, Sam, yep. take camera three. Take camera All right. Three. Okay. All right, so Sam takes camera, camera. All right. How about, how about a nice dissolve to camera four? I'm not trying to mess with. We're just having. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're just you're putting the video th switcher through the paces. That's what but, you're doing right now. But up for grabs, and we have a respiratory therapist on the line, so we better. We, we better, do. She's been watching this whole conversation. We better hurry the hell up before she. She's hang, enjoying it. Before, before, <laughs> before we hang up, she hangs up on us. Um, two points up for grabs for the first person, and Sam, you can monitor this for the first person that identifies. Just give him camera four again for one. See, now that I know the numbers, Sam's screwed because I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing this all the time. Two points to the first person that notices what's different about the Real Talk studio this morning. Oh, I believe that goes to Cam in a pizzeria. That is his username. Uh, yeah, if, if you could just, uh, Sam, we want to be careful. We correctly pronounce people's names, you know, so, so it's actually, I don't mean to correct you, but it's technically a Cam in a pizzeria. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we respect your heritage, Cam, and we want to, we, we want to reflect, you know, where you're coming at us from today. Yeah. Okay, Anyways, so Cam, 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 gets... Cam has pointed out that the lights are now mounted in the ceiling. Okay, so can we take camera four again to show everybody what Samuel Brooks did in his spare time yesterday? Yeah. No more light stands. No, no more light stands. No more big stands and tripods. Well, we got a few camera shots, but but nothing cluttering the floor of the Real Talk studio. Yeah. Um, we all recognize your selfishness, though, Sam. You're, you're humble, but you can be selfish as well. And you know what? I realized what you did is, is keep camera four up. Everyone, you can see the path Sam would walk to the Real Talk beer fridge. All he's done is create a, a clear lane between his producer <laughs> desk and the Real Talk beer fridge. That was the true motivation. But you already moved the coffee maker right next to me here, I which did, is dangerous. I did you that solid. Yeah, I that was you. great. Well, it's because it was giving me anxiety every time you would you would walk pet you because you duck under the camera shot while I was interviewing people. It and also was, means I'm, I'm going to share a little something with you with the with the viewers here is okay. uh, uh, it also means that you can ask me to make you a coffee in the middle of the show. 
which I which have, you have done. I have done one yeah. time, and it's and great. I, it's it's a good system. It was risky because uh, it was risky because there there it can be kind of like a loaded scenario where you ask someone to get you a coffee, mm-hmm. right? Like if like if a new person showed up at a job and then you said to the new person, "Hey man, you want to go run and get me a coffee?" They'd be like, "Fuck you, man." Like you know what I mean? Like what do you mean? Go get you coffee? What are you ta- what are you talking about? Like I'm here to you know I'm my MBA. I'm here to do this thing, yeah. right? You know. But with you, it was more of like a. I hope that you saw it in my eyes. It was kind of like a like a. Oh, I don't mind refreshing Sam, your coffee, Sam. I I would do it myself. But, right here next but to me. Do it's you great. mind? And and so there you go. But it, it was not like a get me a coffee thing. No, not one. I never took Cause, it that cause way. Because Sam would just get up and leave. Is what he what he could do. And then we'd just have to stick on camera one all day, and it would just it would be a boring show. Uh, let's remind you right now that Bitcoin Well is the title sponsor of this show. You know we're starting the show later and later every morning. It's eight forty now. We told we told Robin Strain, respiratory therapist, we told her like eight thirty three. She's sitting here going like, any time now. Yep. So Bitcoin is boomed again. It's way back up there again, like more than the last time we talked about it. And I know for a lot of you, because uh, some of you chime in, because you know, like Bitcoin Well is our title sponsor. So you're always like, hey, like Rod Maldaner yesterday texted me. He said, hey, how's the Bit- Bitcoin's looking pretty good? Because Rod's in on the game, right? He knows what's up. He goes to Bitcoin Well for his buying and selling and making sense of it all. Uh, so Adam O'Brien, who's the CEO, have you seen his new clothing line? He just released it yesterday. Go to Bitcoin Well's website. It's amazing. I tweeted about it as well if you want to find it. Um, he's released a new clothing line with the logo Bitcoin Well on it, and it just says, I told you so. It's pretty amazing. So if you'd like to get your hands on an I told you so t-shirt and I told you so hoodie, if you want to wear it around with pride as you think about where your Bitcoin's at, you can find it all via the Bitcoin Well website. All right, let's go. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, 841 on this Thursday morning, coming up at 9 o'clock. We'll get to the headlines. Aaron O'Toole, by the way, issuing an apology for his comments at Ryerson University about residential schools, whether Canadians accept the apology or not. I think people still have some questions about it. We're going to get to that. Robin Strain, meantime, uh, our leadoff guest this morning. Robin's been a respiratory therapist at the University of Alberta Hospital here in Alberta's capital city, Edmonton for the last 16 years. She's worked everywhere from uh, emergency to the stollery uh, with the youngest patients, uh, but now mainly resides in the general system and the cardiovascular ICU, a resident of St. Albert with her family, her husband, Craig, as well. And Robin yesterday becoming one of the very first Albertans to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Robin, welcome to Real Talk and good morning to you. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. How are you feeling today? I mean, you, you've, I, I would imagine, received vaccines in past in your life. How did this one compare? Uh, it was very comparable to when I got the flu shot. I have a sore arm again today, but I just feel like there was a lot of excitement in the air with this one. So that was very different. And yeah, it's just kind of a, a surreal experience, not thinking it would happen this soon and getting it. 
Yeah, so no kidding. Pretty, the, pretty cool. The timeline of it, and we've been learning more about you know going behind the scenes of the researchers and and, and the uh, incredible uh, human beings that developed this vaccine on what the timeline looked like uh, and how quickly this came together. As a healthcare professional yourself, I would imagine that there was great anticipation because while we still have months to go here, no doubt, this marks mm -hmm. a very significant point in the journey, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. And it was getting to the point at the hospital where there's a lot of dark days. You didn't know what was happening. And this is really a light, I think, that people needed. It just, yeah, every, every day going into work, you didn't really know what you were going to get. And it usually wasn't good. So I just think this was really needed. And it just singles there is an end in sight. Robin, so. with regards to the vaccine itself, can you take, like, my understanding is that yesterday you had... Uh, an appointment, right? It wasn't like show up whenever yes. and get it. You were at, you know, 1240 PM on the nose. Um, can you yes. just, can you describe, can you take us, as we say, behind the curtain and, and tell us what, what it was like, how many people were there to get it, how long it took, what, what the mood was or the vibe was in the room. I'm assuming it was all uh, frontline health workers. Is that right? As, as far as I, I'm aware of, it was, um, it was a little bit different than I expected as far as it's, like an unmarked building. It felt pretty hush hush. Like I kind of didn't really know where I was going. And then you're trying to buzz in and security brings you into this building where it really does not look like a vaccination site. Um, it, I think because they were trying to keep people pretty spaced out with COVID, it, it wasn't busy. So I just had to bring my ID and then got my vaccination people with full PPE um, and was out in 15 minutes. It was, it was actually a lot quicker than I expected. And yeah, it was pretty easy and I felt great. So I never reacted to a vaccine before. So and it I guess that's good. that's big, right? They're saying that you know there have been there have been a few examples of of people that have received this vaccine in the UK going into an anaphylactic shock, and they've suggested at least British health authorities have suggested that if you've had a history of anaphylactic reactions, which would be rare uh, to vaccines or food, that mm -hmm. that's something you should talk to your doctor about. But but no no sort of allergic reaction with regards to what your experience was, and and now I guess we're closing in on eighteen hours later. You're feeling pretty good. Yeah, I feel great and. Um, other coworkers that have got it, that got it yesterday too. Everybody feels good, and as far as I can tell now, all <laughs> no complications. So that's good. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of people that have had reactions to vaccines in the past and are just holding off for a little bit, just till further notice and see what's recommended. So. Robin, I um, would imagine your your work as a respiratory therapist. Uh, you know, w with regards to the the symptoms of COVID-19, the impact that, 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 that it has on, on people. I would imagine that your work is directly related. Crazy how it's progressed because um, in the beginning, it was lots of learning, just how to deal with these patients, how to protect ourselves. Um, protocols changed, just how we do things, just because of how contagious it was. Uh I feel the biggest changes definitely have been with the surge in the last few months. Um, I remember the shift I came in and we have a patient workload and we market with blue dots patients that have COVID and it always went from a few, there was always a bunch in the hospitals, but usually on the floors. And then the day I got in and it was just almost all blue. 
like that, that really got me because if that happens every day, it's just, it's just not feasible to keep up with. Like you cannot have that many patients come in a day and care for them all well. And then just as every change happened, like all of a sudden I, one day I come in and now there's multiple patients or two patients in each room. And then it's moving to other ICUs and on the floors, um, you have units that were designated COVID units and it's just the slow sprawl across the whole hospital. Um, and wanting to protect the other patients around it, right, that get close to the sprawl has also been pretty pretty stressful. So it's it's been crazy, and they've had to keep on augmenting. Like now we are, because there was new development for the stallery, they've moved patients around, so we have another ICU that they're setting up right now to be completely COVID. They're trying to get uh, equipment right now, but the question they don't know is how they're actually going to staff, fully staff it. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, right? We talked to, to uh, Dr. Shazma Mathani a while ago about that, an ER physician who reminded us that, you know, beds and ventilators are one thing, but but skilled yeah. and experienced workers, uh, health professionals, is, is an entirely different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And we're redeploying um, employees from different areas, like maybe the K clinic and other places to do what they can to try and offset some of maybe the they don't have as much critical care experience they can at least help out with some of the routine things that we need to do had to change how we do some of our workload just to be what is actually feasibly possible in a day um so it's it's been a real real shift for that and um, most full-timers are working overtime i myself i'm a part-timer currently after i had kids i kind of moved down but i've been picking up too close to full-time and i think i'll be there soon uh, they up to my, um, my, it's called FTE, my part, my percentage of full-time, they increased it during this pandemic as it did for many other part-timers just to cover the workload because they've had extra employees on, on every shift. So they so everybody's doing what they can, obviously to, to meet the yeah. demand, so to speak. I'm, you know, I'm making it sound like, you know, overstaffing a sport check for Christmas time, but we're talking about yeah. critical care units yeah. here uh, with regards to COVID patients. What, what sort of an impact is it having on, uh, I mean, you're coming across as, as pretty measured and, you know, I mean, you know, relatively yeah. calm, you're not hitting the panic button, at least you don't appear <laughs> to be, but, but how, how would you gauge how you're feeling and, and, and how are you gauging the impact that you're seeing the, the patient load and the workload is having on, on you and your colleagues? Are spirits high? Is morale positive? What are you noticing? Uh, there's, there's been a bit of a balance. You definitely see a lot more panic in your coworkers every day. Uh, like even being a respiratory therapist and COVID, um, is mainly uh, results in a pneumonia. So these patients are very high workload for us. And you can see the panic in their eyes when they can't breathe. And then you're trying to put on all your PPE to get in there fast enough. And it's just like you get called call after call after call. And it's just trying to get there fast enough. So that kind of stuff, by the end of the day, your stress load is definitely high. I think the fact that everybody's come together at work to try and help each other out has been a big positive. Our managers have been amazing multiple like checking in, in us multiple times in a day um to make sure that we are doing okay uh lots of support from outside we get tons of cards from schools and that's really like it's a little positive note in the day but the days can be pretty pretty high stress where you're paging out for help you're constantly running into rooms and yeah there's just nothing quite like it seeing a patient that can't breathe in the fear in their eyes that is yeah, 
definitely definitely weighs in on you. So have you you you've been in this career for you're coming up on 17 years. Uh, have you ever like is there anything that you've experienced through the course of your career that you can compare to this with regards to what you're seeing that the, the challenges that your patients are encountering physically, uh, the, the demand on staff, how, how you're being uh, tapped with regards to, you know, the the implications of this on your workload. I mean, is this is this a, a, with almost 20 years of experience as a respiratory therapist? I guess the real question is, how different is this from anything else you've experienced? Oh, it's it's completely different. It's completely different for the mental health of the nurses and of the patients. It's like patients are, are alone, especially the COVID. It, it's predominantly COVID patients right now in our units. And we come in, you can't even, you can see nothing but our eyes through the glare of our visors and they're alone. They have no family and we can't even have, don't even have the time to spend with them to give them much comfort because we're getting pulled so many areas and never before have you had to change how you work so much every day. Like new protocols are going out saying, well, you don't have to see your patients quite as often. It has to be more as a needed, as, a, as needed basis, just because you don't have time to. So like it's, it's such a balance too, like wanting to give every patient the best care possible, wanting to give them comfort when they're alone, they have no family. The ones that are, aware enough, maybe have a cell phone by their head to hear some reassurance from family. Um, and just the sprawl because the general systems ICU is the main COVID ICU, but it's moving to every other ICU now just because it can't handle that workload. So it's at times in the hospital, I've had one area be quite busy, but it's not, it's not everywhere you go where everybody's calling for help. So it's, it's definitely nothing like what I've experienced before. Well, uh, you know, you, you talked about the notes that you've received from kids and those types of things and the, and the impact that it has uh, on encouraging you. Uh, we're receiving a, a ton of messages. Uh, I'm getting them live right now on our, on our uh, YouTube thread here, Robin, as well as our Real Talk RJ hashtag. And people are just uh, communicating uh, how grateful they are for what you're doing and, uh, and for what you're doing to serve Albertans. And I just want to really sincerely um, I need to look into her eyes, Sam. There we are. I want to sincerely thank you, sincerely thank you for what you're doing, for going to work every single morning, for for putting what I have to imagine would be very stressful circumstances, uh, for putting those into a place where you're processing them mentally, but still delivering the care that Albertans need right now. And so, uh, you know, and I'm even serious in asking you to pass our gratitude along to your colleagues um, the next time that you walk into there, the next time you walk into the U of A hospital or, or wherever else you will be assigned to literally help save people's lives. Thank you sincerely for what you're doing, Robin. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Honestly, all the support you, you really, I, I do think for as far as morale goes to people have really like the community coming together. It, makes a huge difference you feel supported you feel like people have your back and it makes it a lot easier robin strain is a respiratory therapist uh, has been for 16 years at the university of alberta hospital <laughs> yesterday becoming one of the very first albertans to receive the covid19 vaccine thanks for talking to us about it and we wish you good health thank you ryan Have thanks robin really appreciate her making time for us today um 
We'll fit in a quick break, and then I want to get to some of the comments that we have here. Uh, a big part of our show each and every morning is uh, hearing, finding out, listening to what you have to say. And so we appreciate everything that you have to uh, contribute to these conversations. Uh, wanted to recognize our friends at Local Waste. And Sam, I don't know if you noticed, but yesterday I forgot to read the Local Waste spot. Oh, no. Yeah. And I was sitting here after. I'm having a coffee after the show. That's why did I, I, you know what? I told a little white lie there. I wasn't having a coffee. I did have coffees, but I was having a beer. I was having a hazy pale ale. I was having a whistling pig, hazy Wh- pale whistling ale. Whistling pig is a delicious brew. From Arcadia. That's is, this was, an Ar- is this, is this, a, is this an, an Arcadia Arcadi- ad? Or no, is it's this not a, an Arcadia uh, ad, but it is going to be an extended length local waste ad. All right, have at her. All right, because I'm sitting there having a, an Arcadia whistling pig, hazy pale ale. Support your local brewers. No judgment. I drank salted caramel on camera yesterday. You, you did. You, it you was got good into stuff. the booze on camera. We see. We're still just. We're 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 coming up on a month on air. Uh, not quite yet, but soon. And we're still figuring out that we can do these things. We can do the things we weren't allowed to do at our other jobs. Like you want to have a beer at nine in the morning. Like it's probably not the best. You know, just with regards to you know taking our jobs seriously. But sometimes we might. I don't know. We've got a pitch right now. There's a winemaker that wants to come on board. I'm not sure if I told you about this, Winer Wednesdays. You have not told me about this. Well, there's two wine sponsors that are kind of, we're going to let them fight it out. Um, you know, they're, they, they're talking about Winer Wednesday. So you might have to have a segment where we're pouring wine. Look, the guys at Local Waste I'm, are like, can I'm you okay please get Yeah, back? I was going to say, why don't can we talk about please, Local Waste? Hey? Can you get back to our spot, Jesperson? You started out by saying so I'm we forgot here. to do Local Waste yesterday. Now we've talked about everything but Local Waste. That's right. But, but how many, but. Those of you in marketing, you know exactly how many times have we said local waste in the last two minutes? Like 11, 12, 13 local waste, right? So I'm having this coffee that tastes a lot like a hazy pale ale yesterday. And I'm sitting here in the seat and I'm reading through the inventory that we keep. Um, and, and all of a sudden it hits me. It dawns on me. Oh, my gosh. I didn't read the local waste spot yesterday. So I texted Chris Lavoss here just like he wants you to call him. If you're interested, I mean, he wants to compete for your business. He's also looking to expand his business. If you live in like Red Deer, Lethbridge, Grand Prairie, Fort Mc... I don't know, wherever. And you're thinking, you know what? The big garbage guys are in business up here, but I think there's room for a local player. Give Chris a call at 780-242-9746. They love going head-to-head with the big guys. They've been doing it for 25 years here. Owned and operating locally at Local Waste. I need the I need the thing in my teeth that can pop when I smile into the camera. That's what we need next. I'll talk to our graphics department that's about what, that. That's what we'll spend our money on next. So it, it, sincere thanks to the team at Local Waste for their sponsorship. Let's call up this Aaron O'Toole apology. I'm going to show it again in the news uh, coming up in about four minutes, but I'm noticing that, that a, a lot of folks are chiming in on this. And uh, this is what we've seen from the leader of Canada's official opposition. Uh, this is Aaron O'Toole, leader of the Conservatives, who at Carleton University basically told students that, hey, listen, the residential school started off as an attempt to educate Aboriginal kids, and then they turned into something horrific. Well, people pushed back, as you might imagine. And so this statement this morning, the very existence of residential schools is a terrible stain on Canada's history that has had sweeping impacts on generations of Indigenous Canadians. I speak about the harm caused by residential schools regularly in my comments to Ryerson students I said the residential school system was intended to try and provide education it was not the system was intended to remove children from the influence of their homes families traditions and cultures that from 
Aaron O'Toole. So, you know, some of you are writing in and saying that was not an apology. That was an explanation. That was not an apology. That was a deflection. You can let me know what you think. Um, we're coming up on the, I mean, we're marking as Canadians the fifth anniversary of the release of that Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report. Five years already since the release. Do you remember when that came out? It was big, almost 100 recommendations of, of, of here's what Canadians can do. Um, you know, most notably, here's what the federal government can do on behalf of Canadians. But also, th there were assignments, really, to us citizens. There were, there were challenges to us on, on how we can be better, on how we can uh, begin to reconcile that horrific period in Canadian history. And really, when we look back on it five years later, what would we say that we have tangibly done to reflect the recommendations in that report? Not a rhetorical question. Actually, let's think about it for a second. What have we done as a nation, really, to meaningfully respond to that report? We're going to be talking about this tomorrow. As a matter of fact, our Friday, uh, our Real Talk Roundtable, it's coming up tomorrow from 9 to 10, is going to be phenomenal. And I'm very excited. Uh, one of our panelists, uh, Adam North Pagan from the 60s Scoop Society, and we're going to get into this and we're going to talk about it at length. We're going to spend an hour talking about meaningful responses to, to racism and sexism and homophobia and Islamophobia and our panel, uh, three incredible people. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Before we get to the headlines, I wanted to also say thank you this morning to the teams at Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. There's six of these locations. I name them specifically just so you know, because I know you choose where you take your business. You choose where you spend your money. And these are the six locations that are spending money at Real Talk. And we'd love to see you reciprocate that. So we're talking about Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. At those six locations and those six only right now, they're Christmas frozen ice cream logs. You know these things. You get home at 3 o'clock from Coconut Joe's down in Calgary 20 years ago. You would crush an entire Christmas frozen ice cream log yourself with a salad fork with nobody else even in the room. That's how good these things are. Is this a personal story you're telling? It's a hypothetical that would be believable as a personal story. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. Anybody that knows me knows that it, that, that could happen. I've never crushed a Christmas frozen ice cream log in its entirety myself. That's not to say I couldn't. Maybe... I find a way to do that for charity sometime. I'm just setting myself up here to be able to, to indulge. If you would like to indulge in this delectable, delicious treat and only pay 50%, make sure you attend one of those six Dairy Queen locations I told you about in Sherwood Park, Northwest Edmonton, and just walk up and say, I'd like the Real Talk discount, and they're going to give you 50% off. All right, let's take a look at the news. Well, we'll begin uh, with that statement from the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Just showed it to you. We want to officially include it in our headlines in case somebody's tuning in right now to catch this. Aaron O'Toole essentially saying, hey, listen, I said that the residential school system was intended to try to provide education. It wasn't. Uh, the system was intended to remove children from the influence of their homes, families, traditions, and cultures. You can let me know what you think. That statement from the leader of Canada's Conservatives. Meantime... Alberta's COVID numbers, uh, we have our update from yesterday. Of course, this is the story leading the headlines. We just heard from Robin Strain, a respiratory therapist, on the strain that they're feeling, no pun intended, obviously, at hospitals, the stress that healthcare workers are under. Let's get to Alberta's COVID numbers and take a look here. These, as of yesterday, these are Wednesday's numbers. 20. 
1,169 active cases in Alberta. That includes 9,700 and change active cases in Edmonton, 9,715. About 750 Albertans, 749 of them currently in hospital, including 139 in ICU specifically due to COVID-19. That's obviously not ICU patients there for other reasons. 760 Albertans have died since the first person passed due to COVID-19 here in the province of Alberta. And meantime, a COVID-19 conspiracy theorist has had his lawsuit terminated by a judge in Edmonton. This is amazing. In two separate statements of claim filed in the fall, a guy by the name of Glenn Miller argued that Edmonton's mask bylaw infringed on his charter rights, promoted fear, and was part of a broader conspiracy in which the city was acting as a willing puppet. And so he figured it was reasonable to sue the city of Edmonton for $565 million. Well, Associate Chief Justice Kenneth G. Nielsen uh, struck out both claims yesterday, uh, writing in his decision that the monetary remedy has no basis in law and that the lawsuit was filed for an improper purpose. The plaintiff, Glenn Miller, was also demanding the city announce publicly it would educate itself on the true scientific and statistical data of COVID-19, which I can only imagine Glenn Miller accessed on Facebook. So there you have it. The courts won for the good guys yesterday. Although, doesn't it drive you a little bit nuts that, that people that are looking to exonerate themselves, people that are looking for meaningful prosecution, uh, people that have been victims of crime, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can't get into the courts because of the backlog, because everything's so absolutely insanely crazy right now. Because so, of so we can deal with conspiracy theorists. So Glenn yeah. Miller can sue the city of Edmonton for $565 million <laughs> over the mask bylaw. Like, he gets his case heard. But the people that are like like family courts or or people that desperately need to get the child custody figured out or you're trying to get your you sort of like, you know, somebody screwed you in your business and you're trying to sue them or you're trying to get your like you can't get into court. But this Yahoo can get in with his five hundred and sixty five million dollar lawsuit wanting the city to educate. Itself Some days it's a really good thing that the camera and mic on me are not turned on during the news because uh, I. <laughs> There's a lot of eye rolls and scoffs over on this because time of the room gonna, sometimes. Because you're going to keep it classy, is that right? Exactly. Okay, all right. Is our next guest ready to rock and roll? He is indeed. Okay, Dr. Jared Wesley, if you know, uh, if you follow Canadian politics, and in particular, if you follow politics in Alberta, you know the name Jared Wesley very well. Political scientist, he's the co-author of the Public Servant's Guide to Government and Inside Canadian Politics. He's also the lead at Common Ground Politics, which is uh, a group of Alberta researchers based out of the University of Alberta, uh, working with other Western Canadians to find common ground, making his Real Talk debut this morning, Dr. Jared Wesley. Welcome to the show, and thank you for making time for us. It's great to be here, Ryan. Uh, Jared, you've been you've been uh, taking a look by way of uh, your work with Common Ground uh, uh, over what, what uh, Albertans are indicating and what Western Canadians are indicating, um, not just with regards to how they're feeling about politics, not just with regards to the parties and leaders uh, that are resonating with them. And of course, that ebbs and flows between election cycles between those four years. But you've also been taking a look at the impact of COVID-19, the pandemic on the factors I've just named. It makes sense after we've just seen Alberta's updated numbers. We've just talked to a frontline respiratory therapist to start there. So the politics of a pandemic, what do we know at this point? Well, we were fortunate in a way that um, we, we had a survey in the field in November 2019, just after the 
the federal election. And you know, we surveyed Albertans at that point, not knowing, of course, what we were about to enter into. And it was uh, unfortunate that we did uh, you know, encounter a pandemic and put a halt to a lot of our other research, including focus groups. But we were fortunate to get back into the field in August with our most recent survey, which we're going to talk about today. So the survey basically encompasses the changes from November 2019 all the way through the first wave of the pandemic, just before folks went back, kids went back to school in September. And I mean, the high level finding was um, Jason Kenney's popularity numbers actually rose over that time, much like other premiers. Uh, seems like a year ago now that we were talking about wave one and how things were going in the summer and it was bad, but we didn't know how bad it was yet to come. Yeah. So we have to take the, our findings that we'll talk about today with a bit of a grain of salt. We're talking about the first wave of, 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 uh, of the pandemic. Kenny's numbers rose a bit, but the UCP's numbers fell by eight points. And we attribute that to a couple of different things. What do you think? What is, what is the reason behind that? Well, we often think of uh, parties' fortunes being linked, again, with, with their leaders. This wasn't the case here. So we probed a little bit more deeply to look at what has changed over the last uh, nine months between November 2019 and August 2020, the biggest change we noticed was that people's priorities shifted. So you'll remember back to May 2019, what the, the UCP's um, mantra was during that campaign, jobs, economy, pipelines. And Albertans overwhelmingly supported those priorities and voted the party in. Uh, even in November 2019, people were still talking about the economy quite a bit, but that shifted over the course of the first wave of the pandemic. People saying that the economy was their number one uh, issue, the most important issue in Alberta, fell by a full eight points, almost mirroring perfectly the drop in UCP support. Meanwhile, uh, people identifying healthcare as the most important issue increased by about 6.5% over that period. What's really odd, and we're going to take another look at the data in the coming weeks and months, is that the NDP did not benefit from the UCP's drop in many places. In fact, the only major place where they picked up ground from the UCP directly was in suburban areas. Rather, most of the UCP support seems to have flown, uh, seems to have fled to the uh, Wild Rose Independence Party. The Wild Rose Independence Party, that, that, uh, would you agree with me that there are two parties uh, whose growth could most hurt the United Conservatives, and those are the NDP and the Wild Rose Independence Party. Like, if you see a strong right-wing conservative party uh, gaining momentum, a, a, a strong option, a legitimate option on the right wing, this all of a sudden creates a problem again for the conservatives, much as the Wild Rose caused problems politically for the progressive conservatives. Yeah, I, I teach courses in Western Canadian electoral politics, and I tell my students on day one, there's one takeaway from this course, it's this. In Western Canada, right-wing parties only lose when they splinter uh, off and create two parties on, on, on the right, right? Yeah. That's been true in BC for years. It's new-ish to Alberta, although looking at um, you know 2015 elections, obviously a, a, a key uh, example of that. It's been happening in Manitoba and Saskatchewan as well. So um, I was actually interviewing Roy Romano a couple of months ago about another project. And he said, you know, the best piece of advice, Derek, I got from uh, Tommy Douglas was this. Your, your opposition isn't across the aisle. It's behind you. Right. And I think Jason Kenney, if we're looking at the way that he's been governing, particularly in the second wave of the pandemic, he's been looking over his shoulder, looking to see uh, how how his folks on, on his rural right um, are, are, are taking these pandemic measures. Right. How, how well they're accepting them. Uh, and our research from wave one suggests they were probably right to be concerned because they did bleed a lot of support, particularly in rural areas.
So when you say that he's been governing, kind of looking over his shoulder, are you talking about specifically, for example, uh, hesitance in imposing a province-wide mask mandate uh, based on how that tends to play in rural areas, which tend to show strong support for the conservatives? I mean, is that something specific that you would be looking at? Yeah, and, and it's it's not just him. So um, I, I read on Twitter, somebody was at a, a meeting where um, Minister Chandra was talking about uh, whether the province should impose a province-wide mandate. This was a couple of weeks before they actually did. And his response was telling. He said, what am I supposed to tell the guy in Cold Lake? Yeah. Right? And so we're also not just doing this public opinion research, we're doing research into what politicians are saying and doing. And the stories they tell, the friends that they invoke in these stories is really telling. It tells us what, uh, you know, who they're paying attention to, whose interests they have in mind when they're making these big decisions. And it'll be interesting to see now that Jason Kenney shifted away from talking about, as Chandra did, the guy in Cold Lake, to talking about the ICU nurse or his friend who is in the ICU on a ventilator. That's a pretty major shift in in conversation, and that that presaged this most recent uh, set of more restrictive pandemic lockdowns. So they're yeah. thinking of other people. Now. I, I think of let, let, me, let me just go on a stream of consciousness here for a second, Jared, because there have been several and we've discussed some of them here on the show. There have been several little comments that have been made that have had, I think, or should make a big impact on people's understanding of, of where the government's at, the provincial government I'm talking about with regards to making its decisions. You talked about one. What am I supposed to tell the guy in cold? Like there was one the other day where, where premier said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a guy to get arrested in his barn uh, for breaking the mask bylaw or something like he, he painted a very clear picture. Like, what are we going to go arresting people in their own barns? Right. There was House Leader Jason Nixon who talked about the Trudeau tracing app in the context of the federal tracing app, which I think is really significant. Um, I, I also think that it's worth paying attention to, you know, I mean, little snippets like Jason Kenney's a very smart communicator. Uh, he, he's, he's, a, he's a very skilled politician, uh, which is not always a compliment, um, but he's very good at what he does. And his story about the food court the other day, right? <laughs> this gal comes up to him uh, in tears, um, you know, worried about uh, winding up in abject poverty, which, by the way, journalists tracked her down and she said, I don't remember mm -hmm. crying and I didn't make any comment about abject poverty, but he did buy food from me, he, she said. Uh, but Jason Kenney managed to slip in that she had been she had escaped Venezuelan socialism. Uh, just a little comment that he managed to slip in there in the term of his story. And, and you kind of wonder, like, the, it, it's skilled communication that's happening here, but it's all these little seeds that are getting planted. The question is, what does the bigger picture accomplish? I remember when Jason Kenney last week, I think it was, it was the last Tuesday when the, when the province rolled out these new measures, and he, and he said to Albertans, listen, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing. He said something along the lines of, hey, listen, I know you're going to be upset. I know many people are going to be upset with this. And then and then I think a lot of people assumed he was about to say, you've wanted us to impose measures earlier. You've wanted us to lock down three weeks ago, but we could. But instead, it, it, there was a curveball. And he said, I know you're going to be upset. I know you're going to be asking why you have to wear masks. I know you're going to be wondering why we're overstepping. And I'm thinking, what? Like his... Premier and this government's interpretation of what people are upset about right now is having to wear a mask when Alberta has triple the numbers of COVID as compared to Ontario or Quebec. I just, to me, I'm sitting there watching that live going, what? Like, that's your understanding of where the public's at? But we can glean a real understanding of where the government's head is at, can't we, with comments like mm -hmm. those? 
Yeah, and and he's a student of this type of com, uh, communication. And early on in, in his leadership, when he first moved back to Alberta, he was summoning uh, the old characters that Ralph Klein used, Martha and Henry, right? And he he was actually hanging out at the Blackfoot Diner like Ralph used to do, right? So he 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 knows what he's saying. Um, but I think the the broader point that you're making uh, speaks to the reason behind the Common Ground Project, because there seems to be this disjunction between what governments do on one hand. What the public wants, on the other hand, and public opinion has for a long time been in, been supportive of more restrictive measures here in Alberta. But the third piece that the people have paid less attention to and what we're focusing on is what do people think is acceptable in the broader Alberta community? Because you could want um, greater uh, you know, uh, mask, uh, 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 province-wide mask mandate, or you could want a PST personally. But if you don't think that the average Albertan is going to buy that, if you don't think it's politically acceptable, if you refer to the PST as the political suicide tax, then you're not likely to push for it. It's not going to become a priority. That's true for, for, for political leaders. It's true for governments as well. So this government is not just looking at public opinion. In fact, in many ways, they've been dismissing it for, for months. They're looking at what do they think the average Albertan, in, 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 uh, for Shandro, it's, it's the guy in Cold Lake, for Klein and Kenny, it's Martha and Henry. What are they going to accept? And we can push up to that line, but we can't piss them off, right? Um, and that's what our that's what our research and focus group research is getting into. Do you ever, uh, you know, the whole thing about like eating at the Blackfoot? This is just a this is just an aside. We don't have to spend twenty minutes on this. <laughs> but you know, the premier eating at the Blackfoot Inn and this, that, and the other. He he went so far as uh, in the in the twenty nineteen campaign to stand behind Ralph Klein election signs. Um, like it's worth noting for people that don't, that have shorter memories, like Ralph Klein was my mayor, uh, growing up in Calgary. I remember when Ralph Klein uh, graduated, so to speak, to provincial politics, minister of the environment, uh, our household, we were, you know, big Klein household. Um, and I was always a big fan of Ralph Klein. Uh, like, you know, I think some people might be surprised by that, but there were a lot of things about Ralph Klein that I really loved. And Ralph Klein was also very human and made mistakes and made some very public mistakes. And a lot of people have a lot of, of angst aimed at Ralph Klein and, and rightfully so. I mean, for, you know, blowing up hospitals and, and, and making drastic sweeping cuts that really hurt Alberta for a generation. I mean, there's, we can get into the legacy of Klein. Uh, you know, I mean, but when you talk about great Alberta premiers or at least Alberta premiers that made a huge impact on the province, you know, you're, you're talking about like Ernest Manning, Peter Lougheed, mm -hmm. Ralph Klein. I mean, the, those are the those are the names people are using. I mean, he was he was a huge presence. All of this to say, correct me if I'm wrong. Ralph Klein could not stand Jason Kenney, uh, couldn't stand him. <laughs> and if you ask members of Ralph Klein's family they will tell you that he could not stand Jason Kenney. And I can only imagine how he would feel about Jason Kenney, leader of the United Conservatives on the campaign trail, standing behind Ralph Klein election signs. He would lose his mind. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I, that's an interesting uh, thought experiment. I don't know how those two would get along. I don't think they'd eat at the Blackfoot Diner together. They would way. not be eating together. But I, yeah, but I, I think think to the broader point, and Ken Bosenkul had a had a great blog piece on this uh, recently, where he talks about how Martha and Henry are not the center of Alberta's universe anymore, and yet the United Conservatives continue to play to them, right? Our own focus group research, as we've talked about on your show, um, you know, it's it, it, we ask Albertans to draw us an Albertan is the first part of our focus group uh, activity, right? And most people have a clear idea of what an Albertan is, and we ask them to draw that. Most people draw. Uh, you know, a cowboy, a farmer, person who works on the rigs, and they name them Joe, Al, and so on. 
Now, the interesting thing is that we, we were expecting people to draw the Marvel money. We were expecting them to draw Henry, right? And maybe Martha, right? But they didn't. They drew somebody who was much younger. The average age of those Joe Albertans that they drew was mid-30s, right? Um, so, and, and when we started to unpack how does Joe feel, how does Joe react to different political situations, we found he's not like Henry at all. Mm. So he's not protesting the pride parade in, his, in Tabor, right? Uh, he, he's okay with the pride parade going on, probably not going to march in it, but he's moved, he's moved past that. He's not a social progressive, but he's more libertarian, I think, than, than Henry might have been. And as we get in further and further into this pandemic, I think we're starting to see that Joe Jr., uh, you know, has a very different sense of, of what's acceptable in Alberta politics. Do I have, any, do I have time for a, a quick example of this? Buddy, we got all the time in the world. You can take as much time as you want. So as part of this, 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 these focus groups that we've done, again, we ask them to identify who is the average or quintessential Albertan, and they draw Joe, Joe the farmer, we'll call him this time, right? And then we put up on a, on a wall a picture, different pictures, and one picture was of a person who was homeless on the street uh, begging for money, okay? And we asked the participants not to tell us their personal opinions, but tell us how Joe thinks that person got there. Okay, so they take out their index cards, they write a short story about how, how Joe got there. We were fully expecting a Henry-type response that revolved around this notion of personal responsibility. It's its own damn fault. Didn't work hard enough, uh, didn't take personal responsibility for his health, and so on. We were surprised that most people said, no, actually, Joe knows people like that, right? Joe's working on the rigs. Joe knows people that have been affected by drugs, and he knows that, that drugs, uh, substance use and abuse can be... Um, uh, is, is less a matter of personal responsibility and more a matter of a disease happening to them. This, this opened our eyes to, to this notion that unlike Henry, who was part of a very insular small community that didn't uh, get out much, and Joe might not get out much either, but the world is coming to them. Yeah. And in the context of this, so, so Joe, Joe feels for that person on the street. Joe's now also, I believe, feeling for people who are affected by COVID-19 because it's in his communities, Right. And we started even seeing in, no in November when we were out doing focus groups, people start talking about the role of the state in providing poor healthcare services. So, uh, you know, if we're seeing the Kenny government pivot to talking to Joe as opposed to Henry, um, that, might, that might put them more in tune or in touch with what the average Albertan expects of government, particularly in times of crisis. Because personal responsibility, as we've seen, doesn't solve big collective action problems like a pandemic. And Joe knows that. Yeah, I mean, that would also involve this government listening to experts and listening to people outside its inner circle, which is a whole other conversation. As a matter of fact, we'll pick up on that in just a second. We're talking to political scientist Dr. Jared Wesley. We want to remind you how important our sponsors are to this broadcast as we bring you Real Talk live each and every morning. And that includes the team at Westworld Computers. Uh, right now I'm running the, uh, what am I running? The, the MacBook Pro, the iPhone 11 Pro Max, and the iPad, this is the 13-inch screen, the 12.9-inch screen. Why did they say 13? It's the 13-inch screen. Sam's got it. Now we get to go to camera four. Yeah. Sam's got that big iMac on his desk. Oh, and by the way, I talked to Daryl at the West. The big, sexy unit, as we've been the, calling it. Sam's big, sexy unit. I'd, I'd actually, I, I'd like to avoid making that a thing. I just, it just doesn't feel right. Um <laughs> I you talked, started it. Yeah, I did start. I did start it. I didn't say I didn't start it. I did start it. And I talked to Daryl at Westworld yesterday, by the way, and they're, they're upgrading you to a, there's a new iMac coming. So 
Oh, so you hello. Get a, something like, uh, uh, he described it as like a little more horsepower. All so right. I think they're pretty excited to get that in front of you. They've been doing this for more than 40 years. Family-owned Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Westworld Computers. It's your option against that other big store, this one independently owned. And they've got your best interests in mind at all times. Go check out the team at Westworld Computers. Check out the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. Political scientist Dr. Jared Wesley, our guest. Uh, we're talking about the politics of a pandemic. We're taking a look at numbers. Um, wanted to ask you about this government taking advice, and you can integrate this into the next question, I'm sure. But Jared, you know, we take a look at the numbers from Common Ground Politics, the numbers you released yesterday, and people can follow you on Twitter and find all this. We, we, we include the Twitter handles for all of our guests. Uh, a tweet I send out each and every morning. He's at Dr. Jared Wesley. And I am going to ask you about Joseph Epstein's column, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal about not calling yourself doctor if you've never delivered a baby. I'll ask you that later. But let me ask you this now, Jared. The United Conservatives, how concerned do they need to be when the party loses 10 points in popularity, but the NDP picks up fewer than two of those points? I mean, really, does the government have to sweat this at all? Most people are saying this is going to be a two-party election, realistically, in 2023. And... If it's not the NDP, then it's going to be the UCP. So do they even sweat numbers like this, do you figure? They are sweating numbers like this. They were sweating numbers like this in January when I was talking to some of their staffers, right? This is before the pandemic. They were worried about Wexiteers at that time in the aftermath of the 2019 federal election. Um, look, I, I have family in some of these areas where, where the Wexiteers are, are popular, and they are, they, they've never really been attached to the UCP. I think this is a big myth that you know, um, that that party has a strong brand presence, particularly in southern and rural Alberta. They've never had it. And it has a lot to do with the fact that they've gone through so many different rebranding efforts recently. But but their supporters tend to be, um, you know, more opposed to the NDP than they are drawn to the UCP. And this is a, a matter of what we call negative partisanship. Um, it's present not just here in Alberta, but in other, other parts of Canada, and particularly in the United States. People aren't really drawn to the UCP they're uh, disaffected uh, from the NDP. So the worry is that they're not probably not going to cross the Rubicon and vote uh, NDP next election, uh, but they're likely to, to throw their support behind um, another conservative party like Wild Rose Independence. So this is, so, I mean, this gives, this gives Albertans, I mean, I was going to say conservative supporters, but really it should give Albertans pause to think um, that if what you're saying is true and you've got the data to back it, Jared, that this party to hold on to power, right, is going to have to ensure that it keeps Wexiteers, so separatists, Alberta sovereignists, the patriots. You know, I hope everyone can hear my eyes rolling as we use these words. But they've got to keep the Wexiteers happy, right? Um, typically, uh, if we look to Venn diagrams, some people may get upset at this, but I'm not wrong. Sometimes the truth hurts. Um, the Venn diagram that would include, you know, Wexiteers and also anti-vaxxers, anti-abortionists, tradi you know, traditional biblical definition of marriage believers, all of these types of things. Uh, th the Venn diagram there is basically a circle. Um, and so this government is going to have to appease and keep happy that crowd. Uh, that's something I would suggest that small C conservatives across the board and Albertans in general would be wise to pay attention to. Yeah, and again, I point you to Ken Bosenkul's fabulous blog post on this. He, he talks about how Martha and Henry become radicalized by this this new populist movement. To that list of, of to, to throw another circle into your Venn diagram, these are anti-globalists. But I think we had another research brief earlier on this week where we talked about um, how how different types of Albertans um, 
have been affected by the pandemic differently. And even before that, how the economic downturn has affected people differently. And the thing that ties these Wexiteers, anti-globalists and so on together is that they've been most heavily affected um, in terms of employment, in terms of income and so on. So these folks resemble uh, the, the people that we've seen in the Rust Belt in the United States and, and coal country uh, a couple of decades ago in the United States that feel left behind, right? They can't, a lot of them can't quite put their finger on it, but they feel like uh, they're, they're the best days for, for their communities and the best days for their families are behind them. They're not quite sure who to blame, um, but they're sure as heck not going to pull on side with establishment parties. And that's where the UCP is really challenged. These folks are disaffected. The way that a lot of uh, Republican and, quite frankly, Democrat voters in places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania were disaffected uh, a few years ago, right? And where did they go? They went to a leader that, of, of a conservative party uh, that, that at least played, paid lip service to them falling behind. And that's, that's my worry, uh, is, is that somebody's going to you know, catch lightning in a bottle here, be, a, be more of a populist and popular leader than Jason Kenney, and, and, uh, and, and mobilize these folks to form something like we saw uh, Trump form in the GOP, because that's dangerous, man. Who do you think is going to lead this faction? I saw that Paul Hinman, who, whose name pops up in Alberta, you know, from time to time again yesterday or no, what was it last weekend? I guess standing in solidarity with those freedom marchers who refused to wear masks down in Calgary. And I just went, come on, Hinman. I mean, I've talked to the guy several times. Um, political opportunity exists there, I suppose, to a certain degree, but you'd have to suspect that the potential of that movement is capped. Um, who's going to lead this? Who, 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 is, who is the one that will pick up this torch and, and lead the far right in Alberta, do you think? I, I don't know. And, and, but that, that's the thing. No, nobody saw um, uh, Paul Walker coming up in Wisconsin. Nobody yeah. saw Donald Trump before it happened, right? So I think it'd have to be a pretty popular mainstream person that's able to pull, it, pull aside not just the folks that feel left, like they're left behind, but traditional conservatives as well who are willing to hold their nose and move forward. I, I hope to goodness that we're... we're we're not headed down that path, but our research shows, honestly, we had we a poll uh, recently that showed for, for more than, for the first time that we've seen, more than half of Albertans feel like the province's best days are behind it, right? This suggests we're dealing with something completely different than what we've seen in previous generations of Western alienation and conservatism, right? There's a feeling like um, forces beyond even the provincial or federal government's control are holding us back, be that environmentalism, the decline in oil prices and so on. Uh, people are feeling pretty disaffected and that is, you know, a recipe for a shakeup of the party system. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I, you know, I'm hesitating here because like I'm about to state the obvious, but what it requires is a part like a, a party with vision uh, to put something in front of Albertans that they can get behind and that they can believe in, to believe that 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 Alberta's potential has only been tapped, that we can. I mean, I remember even just, you know, you know, Edmonton called the city of champions for so many years until they ripped the signs off. Meantime, Calgary's marketing and branding changed like every second year. Right. Calgary was always changing the signs at the city limits. And 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 one of them, I think right now, it's, is it like the heart of the new West or something like that? But but one of them was was like uh, feel the energy or something about energy. And I just thought and, and, you know, we smirk at like the marketing and how much they spend on it and these types of things. But I thought, you know, that that's at least intuitive in, in the sense that it wasn't like oil. You know, it wasn't like Calgary oil. It was like it was energy and energy means a lot. And Alberta has a lot of potential. You look at AI here in the Metro Edmonton region. I mean, I could go on forever. 
Um, the Alberta spirit is a thing. That is something. But it requires a party with vision, and it requires people, us, the citizens, yeah. to, to give our heads a shake and to, to – to, like things move forward and and for some reason this this clinging to the past it's you can tell jared it's frustrating to me yeah well and but but this this is this is what the biggest outcome of the first wave of our study right with these focus groups we have people draw albertans the people that are doing these drawings look nothing like the people that they're actually drawing so you know we have young women of color drawing joe the cowboy as the quintessential albertan and and this is across the entire province and, and at some point you have, I, I turn it back to the, to the group and saying, look, none of you drew it yourselves in this. There's a disjunction between what you see as being, you know, acceptable uh, in Alberta society or, or emblematic of what it means to be Albertan and you, there's a huge disconnect there. Most people don't look like Joe, right? And, and most people don't work directly in the oil and gas industry. We can debate with economists as to how much of the economy is driven by oil and gas. That's not my point. My point is that in the backs of our minds, regardless of what our walk of life is, most of us see oil and gas and that industry being part of our community identity, right? So if we see that declining, we're, we're going to feel bad about it, right? We're going to feel uh, pessimistic about it. But you're right. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of energy in other sectors, and that sector itself is transforming itself. And we've done focus groups in Port Mac and Hannah talking about how those those economic, those communities are actually optimistic about shifting the narrative. But when politicians keep playing to Martha and Henry, yeah, it brings us back uh, to an old vision of ourselves. Now, political cultures, Ryan, are very difficult to shift. Right? They that they're 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 like climate, not like weather. You can't just you know throw a slogan like the New West out there and, and expect people to see themselves differently. That's not the way it works. But our research suggests it happens that culture shift happens when an old way of thinking in Alberta, that old way of thinking, that political culture that's bound up in ideas like rugged individualism, bootstrap conservatism, right, frontier masculinity, and so on. When those when those uh, themes don't solve the major problems of the day. When personal responsibility is not a viable answer to our major challenges, it presents anomalies that put a crack in that broader political culture. And political cultures don't typically shift unless there's some cataclysmic external event like the Great Depression or like we're seeing in COVID. So I'm glad we're having this discussion right now, and I'm very glad that we're in the field studying this in real time because this might be the moment when Albertans look at each look at each, ourselves in the mirror, right, and say we don't look like that myth and that story that we've been telling ourselves. Yeah, Jim Prentice himself, I don't think realized the significance of that look in the mirror comment because you know what, as the years have gone on since he made it, it's become more and more apparent that that's exactly what Albertans need to do. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I said it at the time. Yeah. Jared, I've, I've got, uh, yeah, I always wonder what, what anyway, <sighs> um, Jared, before we say goodbye, cause I've got two guests on standby here, ready to go. And we're, we're going to change the subject. I just want to ask you about Joseph Epstein's, uh, piece in the wall street journal. We, we get a lot of academics here on the show and, and, um, you know, his assertion basically that, I mean, he was taking aim and it was described as a sexist and misogynistic attack against Dr. Jill Biden, the incoming first lady. He basically called her kiddo and said that she should drop the dock uh, until she's delivered a baby. You yourself, a uh, political scientist, a PhD, Dr. Jared Wesley, how do you feel about his assertion? Did, did you read the column? And if so, how did it make you feel? I didn't read the column. Um, I, I, you can, you can, I did read the first line. <laughs> 
And then I didn't read the rest of the column. Yeah, fair enough. He called her kiddo. It was a misogynist attack against women um, in, in, in academia in general and society in general. That's, that's the way I look at it. I've seen it in my classrooms where students will refer to my uh, female colleagues as by their first name and refer to um, my male colleagues as doctor or by their last name. Um, I catch myself doing, myself doing it all the time when I'm writing. When I'm writing about uh, premiers, I often find myself using first, you know, the, the first name of Rachel Notley. I, use, I talk about Rachel, whereas I'll talk about Stelman, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. This is a societal problem. I think there are, there's a whole other debate that we can have about whether we should use honorifics like doctor. My wife, who's a nurse, will tell you I'm not a real doctor. I can't take your pulse. <laughs> so as you can see, I'm fighting that battle at home, right? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, man, if we miss the bigger point that this is about uh, misogyny, uh, uh, we've missed the boat. Yeah. Let me ask you quickly, though, uh, and, and I keep saying, I keep wrapping the interview and you're ready to wrap and I keep it going. Um, Rachel markets herself as mm -hmm. Rachel. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's part of a strategy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Christy does too. Christy Clark did too. Yeah. So, right? so they, so at some point they lean into it. Yeah. Right. But, but the, the point is very few male politicians do that. And the only one I can remember is Dalton McGinty tried to run as premier dad. Right. Premier dad. Premier dad. He, he ran. It's kind of weird, isn't that. it? It's kind of yeah. creepy. Well, but, but the fact that we I guess say, he didn't say daddy suggests that we don't look for, for that kind of, that kind of uh, leadership quality in our male politicians, the way that we do for women. So yeah, fair. Um, yeah. Jared, it's always such a pleasure. Uh, thanks for making time for us. I look forward to the next time our paths cross. You bet. You can follow Jared on Twitter at Dr. Jared Wesley and make sure you follow at Seaground Politics. That's Common Ground Politics. That's the source of all this polling. Uh, it's a group of political scientists and, uh, well, those in the know out of the University of Alberta for the most part. They do some great work. Um, Want to get to your comments here on this quickly. Uh, Travis says, I don't think that the Kenny government's worried about being reelected. We have short memories in Alberta, which could be true. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of time between now and 2023 there's a ton of time for a government i think to to try to make things right or at least to try to make you forget about some of the things that saw them drop in the polls popularity wise right like we're talking three years from now two and a half years from now there's still a lot of time mayor blaine is listening in says i, I see uh, this conversation with ryan and jared i see how easy it is to explain how skilled the premier is at communicating or at politics but all it does actually, says Mayor Blaine, is make me wonder why our standards are at this level. And what I think he means, he, he says, I completely understand why he's so good, but it's sure not an endorsement on voters. You look at the little things. I saw a comment earlier on our YouTube, and I apologize, there's so much going on right now here, which is a good problem to have. So many of you were chiming in, but I don't know where the comment is, but somebody made some, you know, said something like, you know, the blue pickup truck on the campaign trail you know, the staying in the RV when he when it turned out he wasn't staying in an RV, he was staying in a hotel and he was having a driving car service. And, you know, the premier would get in the blue pickup truck, you know, 600 meters before the event and drive it in and everybody would cheer at Jason Kenny's big Dodge Ram. Um, first of all, newsflash, Jason Kenny's not the first to, uh, you know, to portray an image. Right. Like, you know, I mean, let me think of a thousand off the top of my head. <laughs> Barack Obama pulling pints at a Boston bar or, like, you know, like, you know, Joe Biden at a soup kitchen or, you know, Rachel Notley, like shoving a shoveling a senior's walk or like whatever. They all do it. Politicians all do it. The question is, how much credit do you give them for it? 
right? Like, it's one thing to say, okay, the politician is helping out at the soup kitchen, which, you know, will draw attention to the soup kitchen. It will remind people to make their holiday donation. I hope you will consider the Hope Mission and the Bissell Center and the Boyle Street and the Mustard Seed and, um, you know, the, the Sheldon Schmier Center down in Calgary and all of these wonderful uh, institutions that could really use our support this holiday season. Uh, wanted to fit that in when I see an opportunity. But how much credit do you give the politicians, for example, for showing up in a blue Dodge Ram pickup? Like, do you really believe, as an example, we're talking about Jason Kenney, do you really believe that if Jason Kenney, if that truck got a flat, could Jason Kenney change the tire? Do you think he could? I don't think so. I don't think that Jason Kenney has probably done much with regards to farm work or pickup trucks or anything else. I mean, he's actually lived a pretty charmed life for his entire adult life. As he talks about business and entrepreneurs and these types of things, he's never done any of that, right? He's a career politician. He's had a great salary. He's got a great pension. He's not only flown business class himself, but he's flown family members on business class for many years. And if you think I'm wrong, just Google it yourself and you'll find out. And maybe it'll be the first time you're hearing about it. But, but Jason Kenny is not the blue pickup truck, rural Alberta chewing on straw guy. He's not. But he's a politician, so he sells himself as that to people to whom he needs to reach. It's the oldest trick in the book. Like Mayor Blaine says, are we that gullible to believe all of this? And that's the question. And like I said, before people snap, it's not limited to one political party or movement. It's what politicians do. The question is, how good is your bullshit meter? How good is it? When you see it, do you call it out? And when you call it out, are you willing to deal with the blowback from the party loyalists? That's a whole other ball of wax entirely. Wanted to mention Clean Air Club. Uh, Sam and I want to make sure that the air that we're breathing here in our studio is as clean and purified as possible, not just during the pandemic, but at all times. And so we reached out to Clean Air Club right out of the gates before we even went on the air. And Brad at Clean Air Club mentioned to us that the biggest thing that people can do, especially viewers and listeners at home, is pay closer attention to their furnace filters. And that's what they do at cleanairclub.ca. You sign up there and then they handle all the hassle. You tell them the size of the filter and then they do all the rest. They put you on the schedule for replacement. They drop off the new ones at your home and they even include a little gift to say thank you. Their way to support local retailers. You'll see what I mean when your shipment arrives. And many of you are telling us that you've already received your first shipment of filters. You must have signed up right when we went on the air. Appreciate that at cleanairclub.ca. Find out how you can breathe easy. We're also so grateful to have our hashtag today and every day we're on the air powered by the team at Park Power. That's right. They're the ones powering Real Talk RJ, the hashtag that we use to find out where your head's at. Park Power. They're in the internet, electricity and natural gas game. They've been doing it since 2013, locally owned and all their staff are here as well. That means the call center, the customer service. You're talking to fellow Albertans. You're not placing some international call where somebody can't relate to your concerns. It's somebody that also lives right here. Park Power Profit Shares with local charities. Yet another reason to take your business to Park Power. You know, this next story is a story that we wish we didn't have to cover. There's something ugly going on in the city of Edmonton. And I think that it's probably a microcosm of something really ugly that's going on all around us. A young woman attacked at Edmonton's Southgate Transit Station, the LRT station, on Tuesday of this week. She's the third black Muslim woman to be attacked during broad daylight hours 
in that area within a week. You've probably heard that a mother and daughter, both of them black, both of them hijabi, were assaulted outside Southgate Center just a few days ago. Police uh, arresting and, and, and laying charges here, but these women, uh, per witness reports and per the police uh, public release, dragged from their cars after the windows were shattered and beaten by these men. Of course, when we want to talk about this reality and we want plain speak, we go to the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council. That's where Momin Saeed is executive director, Trent Daly, vice president. And we're grateful that both of you have made time for us this morning. Welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us, Ryan. Momin, why don't we, why don't, why don't we begin with you? Uh, how are you wrapping your head around what's going on right now? This is obviously extremely concerning. Yeah, it really is, uh, Ryan. I mean, um, there's a substantial level of um, disbelief at what is transpiring, what is taking place, um, substantial level of disappointment, um, you know, uh, an increase of, of, you know, how, how shameful this situation is. These acts are considering that two people um, from the community were attacked just a few days ago, and then a similar thing just happens basically in the same um, area. Um, um, a few days later. So, I mean, there is a substantial level of concern within the community, of course, with our sisters who wear the hijab, um, who I will add are the strongest um, members of our community because they are the visual identifiers of Islam and visual identifiers of being Muslim. Whereas us guys, I mean, right now having a long beard or whatever the case may be is chic and hip and happening. So, you know, that doesn't identify you like that. So, um, you know, they are concerned about um, their welfare. I'm not going to say that they're, that they're shaking at their knees as the general community, um, that we're a resilient community, but there is a substantial concern for sure. Uh, Trent, when we talk about the greater impact on, on uh, Edmonton's uh, Muslim community, and, and, and I, would, I would suggest that Muslims across Alberta and probably across Canada would be concerned about this, Women would be concerned about this and and black Edmontonians would, of course, be concerned about this. What are you hearing from community members? Uh, can you hear me all right? Can hear you perfectly. OK, um, well, you know, th there's we can't ignore the intersections of these identities, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. They're, the black community has been under considerable stress and have been overrepresented in our justice system and, you know, basically every negative health identifier you can imagine. The pandemic has not made, it hasn't been an equalizer, you know, we're all in this storm together and as many have already stated, you know, we all have different boats. Some have luxury yachts, some are holding on to the remains of a door trying to float. And, um, you know, the community right now, you know, Black women are looking at this and, and worried, you know, there's Muslim hijabis that already struggle with, with their identity and whether or not it's safe to put on a hijab. And then they see something like this happen. And then they look to um, EPS and they look to people in places of power and they say, well, you know, is, is our safety going to be guaranteed? And like, luckily in this case, EPS did press hate crimes charges very swiftly and we can commend them for that. But it's still, you know, this has been a long recurring issue. This isn't the first time it's happened and unfortunately it, it won't be the last time moment what ha what happens uh, with with a group like like ampac um uh 
and and the Edmonton Police Service when when an incident or multiple incidents like this occur? Is there is there a partnership that exists? Is there dialogue that 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 uh, is initiated immediately? Can can you explain to us how that happens? Yeah, no, absolutely. We do have a great um, part of relationship with uh, EPS. So when um, events like this do happen, um, organizations like AMPAC and others um, do get um, uh, updated that this is something like this has happened uh, within the community and vice versa as well. If we are aware of something that is um, extremely uh, concerning that we as well uh, with our relationships with the EPS, we relay that information to them. And also in the same token as well, then our community members, our stakeholders, they engage with us They'll send us a message or call us or whatever the case may be. So there is this open um, dialogue uh, between AMPAC, the community, um, law enforcement, um, and, and, and a level of trust of wanting to make sure those lines of communication always remain open. And if there are any issues that they are um, you know, dealt with uh, in, a, in a transparent manner. Is, is in your assessment, um, would you say, well, both of you. I mean, Trent, I'll ask you the question, but I'd be curious for, for both of your response. Um, is the response to this point uh, from Edmonton police sufficient? Uh, we'll recognize that, that a man was arrested and is facing charges following that initial attack. Richard Bradley Stevens, uh, I tweeted about him, 41 years of age, uh, charged with two counts of assault, one count of mischief following the incident at Southgate Center. How would you characterize the EPS response here, especially in the bigger picture of of concerns, nervousness, and even fear that may exist uh, within the communities that we're talking about? Well, I mean, we, we, we can't we can't ignore the fact that, you know, black Muslims and black people in general don't have the same interactions with police as someone like myself or yourself would. Yeah. You know, my, my yeah. dad was an RCMP officer. I, I, I grew up surrounded by cops. Um, and, you know, with this scenario, I believe EPS did everything they could that we needed them to do. You know, they press hate crimes charges very swiftly, which typically it's very difficult to get those charges done at all. Um, but. That being said, you know, the burden right now lays on the crown. It lays on prosecution to do their job because we need not just charges, but we need this person to be to be appropriately punished. We need justice for the victims and we need justice for the community. Bowman, how do you. Yeah. Could you follow up on that? Yeah, no, completely. Like we um, we believe that the EPS um, was very diligent and, as Trent mentioned, swift in um, charging with hate crimes. Um, but exactly that's the main um, aspect is now the next step forward, that we don't want this just to be a symbolic gesture and that when it goes to the crown, um, things drop off. Because once um, these type of charges actu- are actualized, is when now we will have a precedent set that people who were considering doing such acts will now realize there's a real life ramification. And this is one of the concerns that we've had. We were um, out in Ottawa um, in the beginning of the year um, dealing with the hate crimes legislation that the problem that we we see with it is that the bar is so high that it is difficult um, to make the charges go through. Um, And that's kind of where we want to make sure that where we're at here in Alberta, that it just doesn't just fall, um, that we make um, these stick. And when that happens, then there'll be a level of trust within the community. It won't be that if you are a non-white person, um, then, you know, these things don't really matter. And but when this happens, then people of color within the community will recognize that, you know, we do matter. 
and um, this isn't a joke. And these type of things will then further provide security because um, it will cause others to think twice. We heard from uh, Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, who said it's frustrating to see another instance of hate-motivated violence in Edmonton. This is completely unacceptable. It's revolting. It's un-Albertan. I'm hoping local law enforcement can identify the criminals responsible as soon as possible. Edmonton's mayor, Don Iveson, denounced the assaults, called them heartbreaking, uh, said the responsibility to condemn racially motivated behavior falls on all of us. Um, A listener here using the hashtag RealTalkRJ, looks like it's Joe, says racial attacks are happening in Edmonton. Um, Confederate flags, says Joe, I've seen flown on trucks in Sherwood Park. Public officials need to stop saying this is not who we are. That's ignoring the problem. That is who we are, and it needs to be acknowledged. Is this who we are, Trent? This is who some of us are. As a society, though, you know, systemic racism, we can't ignore that that exists. You know, we can't ignore the the, the factor. You know, this is a hate incident. So race and, and religious identity were, were inextricably part of why this happened. And, you know, race as a concept doesn't exist, but the the force it has upon individuals and the negative effects is very much real. And, you know, we can't reduce these victims, these women, to merely just being... Uh, a black Muslim hijabi, you know, they have so much more to their intersections and their identities. You know, these women were Canadians. These women are, are part of our community. They're our sisters, our daughters, our mothers. They're the cornerstones of this community. And, you know, with this, you know, we, we have plenty of amazing people in Edmonton, but we also have to address the proliferation of hate, hateful ideology and groups that has spread and has been allowed to, to exist. Gentlemen, I'm not sure. I I only have sort of rumors around this, so I don't know the truth. I don't know if bystanders simply watched this happen. My understanding is that bystanders did intervene to a certain degree uh, at Southgate Mall. I'm not sure exactly, but let me ask you this generally speaking. Um, We've seen instances of, of attacks around the world where sometimes people are 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 paralyzed with fear or shock and they do nothing. Sometimes people film the attacks with their phones. Sometimes people run away. Sometimes people call the cops. Sometimes people jump in. What's your message to average folks, uh, people who don't typically witness an attack like this but may find themselves in a position where they do one day? What's your message to the average citizen uh, from any background, from any ethnicity, from any religious belief that's watching right now, that's listening right now, that may find themselves in the position as a bystander? I think um, in this regards, I mean, obviously um, we don't want to say a, a statement where it jeopardizes some security and they jump in and, and, and they get assaulted based off of our advice. But what I would just say is that I think it's important um, that if people are saying, in this case, there were bystanders who did actually jump in um, on the attack that happened on the two sisters, the mother and the daughter. Um, and that was able, you know, to help thwart that attack. Um, at the end, I think it's important for us, uh, there's a moral imperative that when we see an injustice like this happening, that I feel that I would uh, personally um, jump in and try to stop the act. Now, if someone is brandishing a gun or or has a knife or whatever the case may be, obviously you have to be calculated in that. But even if in that case you don't jump in, you try to talk the person down. 
because the important thing is to uh, make the people know that the, the perpetrator is being watched and this is not something that um, people are agreeing with. And I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, a famous quote by Malcolm X. He says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. And that's something that I really believe that uh, you have to stand up for a moral imperative. You have to stand up for your fellow human being, because if you don't, then what are you standing up for? I really appreciate the work that the two of you are doing here. Um, I, I, it just feels like I, you know, I see stories like this. I see incidents like this is it's a punch in the gut to everybody. And, uh, I, I, I take a look at some of the, the comments that we've seen. I I've often referenced in, in my previous employees and AM talk radio host, the text line in front of us. And, uh, a conversation like the three of us are having here right now would bring the worst out of the woodwork and it would be amplified on that text line. Uh, and I know that there are Albertans. I know that there are Canadians out there who, quite frankly, are not only applauding these types of attacks, but they're more than willing uh, to perpetrate these attacks themselves. This ugliness does exist. And I think that conversations like these are very important. I think it's extremely important that members of the public from all backgrounds, from all walks of life, stand up and, and, and speak loudly to denounce this type of behavior. And most importantly, I think it's so important that, that work like the work of, of the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council continues to happen. So to Trent Daly, to Mom and Saeed, thank you so much to both of you for the work that you're doing and for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Ryan, for thank having you for us here reaching out. You bet. Uh, you can learn more about what uh, Ampac does by visiting uh, the Twitter account, your underscore Ampac. Uh, that's the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council. And, um, and and we link to all of that by my Twitter account. I'm just noticing a comment here, and I just want to address this, especially because it's getting a lot of likes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Dr. Mana Saleh, who is on the show, um, she's a uh, uh, professor at Concordia University of Edmonton. She was on the show, I think, two days ago. Um, unbelievable. We had an unbelievable conversation and everybody was like everybody lamented the fact that the conversation had to end. I think, Sam, did you see how many how many views just even the video on Twitter has with with uh, yeah. Mana? It's like in the it's, it's like over way over 10,000 of thousands and not, and, not even and deservedly so the, the YouTube uh, and the podcast. And so so, you know. Like, I don't know, 50, 75, 80,000 people have, have, have heard that interview. Uh, she was absolutely incredible. Um, and, and she's watching this morning. She's listening this morning. I appreciate that. And, and these are the types of things where I just want to have real talk about this type of stuff. Um, so Dr. Salas says, uh, listening to Real Talk, the discussion of the horrific attacks on black Muslim women in hijab. Uh, she says, I love the work that AMPAC does, but I'm wondering why black hijabis aren't part of this important discussion, which is a fair question. And a bunch of people are liking it. Um, which is fine. Let me be very clear. And, and I say this uh, not, not disrespectfully to our two guests who were just amazing, uh, Mom and Said and Trent Daly, but it is, I am obviously aware that when we talk about platforming voices or featuring voices or amplifying, amplifying voices that need to be amplified, that the voices of the people affected in a certain scenario, situation, tragedy, uh, reality, need to be the voices that we hear from. In other words, I wouldn't talk about the 60s scoop or residential schools with um, a, a white Catholic priest, right? I wouldn't. I, who would I talk to? Probably a survivor of the 60s scoop, like Adam North Pagan, who's going to be on the show tomorrow. 
right? Or if we talk uh, about racism, we, we wouldn't have a, a conversation uh, with three white people sitting around our studio table here about what we need to do about racism. We would talk to people who have walked miles in those shoes, people who have been subjected to, who have endured racism. I wouldn't talk about a gender wage gap with a guy. Uh, I wouldn't talk about a pride parade and, and controversy around pride parades with a straight person, right? I mean, that's, that's obvious. With respect to the two gentlemen that we just spoke with from AMPAC, you, you never want to sort of say they weren't our first choice because I'm grateful for them. Those two agreed to an interview last night at 11 o'clock. And the reason why we didn't have our 930 block booked uh, until 11 o'clock at night is because we were waiting to hear back on two interview requests. And we didn't hear back. And that is outside of our control. But I want you to know and have confidence that this show is very aware that the voices that need to be heard most these days and moving forward are the voices that oftentimes have not been represented in mainstream media. We are hyper aware of that. And our first and second, again, with respect to Mom and Trent, I realize what I'm saying right now is that they were our third choice. And I, I wouldn't typically say that if I were not being called out by a good friend of mine and by a guest who appeared on this show, I think, fewer than 48 hours ago uh, in hijab, by the way. Uh, so I want to just confront that and address that and answer your question, uh, Muna, directly. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for everybody that holds our feet to the fire. If there's a, a story that you're not hearing on this show or if you're hearing a story on this show, but you don't like the way that it's being interpreted or represented, or if you have a story idea and you want to put something on our radar, we want to hear from you. And I'm banging the table, even though it's bad for the audio. Sam's looking at me. It's going to spike on the microphones. I'm banging on the table on purpose because we want to hear from you. Your voice is important. And thank you for holding us accountable. We're very, very grateful that the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge have been with us on this journey, the Real Talk journey, before we even went on the air. That's right. Before the rubber hit the road, so to speak, we already had the support of Scott and his team at the two biggest Jeep dealerships in Alberta. St. Albert Dodge, their brand new location, absolutely stunning. Sherwood Dodge, that massive one, that massive dealership with all those selections there for you just off the Yellowhead if you head just east of Edmonton. Well, we're proud to partner with them. And if you're taking a look outside wherever you're watching from this morning and you're seeing that snow start to fall like it is outside our beautiful windows. I was, I was really enjoying the snow Wasn't for a while. Beautiful? Yeah, it, it's like you, you it's, can't see. Like, Okay, I'll go to camera four what is here. It? What is the it? one thing you can't actually see is the windows. You can see a little bit of the window ledge well, that in the would identify there. where yeah. we're at. We That's, don't necessarily yeah. know. When you see snow, though, where does your head go with, with regards to your vehicle? You start thinking a 4x4 might be kind of nice, eh? Might be nice to be behind the wheel of a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Well, now's the time to go check it out at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. We're also so grateful for the support of the team at Friesen Brothers. I know that many of you are going to be making your holiday plans right now. You're going, okay, well, it's going to be two of us or like four of us, our immediate family unit, as opposed to the, the 16 or the 20 we typically have. And you're maybe going, well, maybe this is the year to to not do a turkey it's so much effort and, and no what if you didn't have to do any of the work what if one of the red seal chefs at friesen brothers handled the whole thing for you prepared the fresh elder alberta produce they had that hot fabulous province-wide famous sourdough bread warm that up throw a little alberta dairy butter on that Woo, baby friesen brothers has you covered 
14 locations across Alberta, soon to be 15 as soon as they open up in South Edmonton. It's going to be incredible. Hey, Sam, let's take a look at the headlines. Well, we'll take a look at Alberta's COVID numbers. We know that that each and every day, many of you are interested to see what's happening here trend-wise. The number of active cases in the province of Alberta remains at over 20,000. 20,169 active cases as of Wednesday, including more than 9,700 in Alberta's capital city. 749 Albertans as of yesterday currently hospitalized with COVID-19, 139 of them in the ICU. And it is important to remember that those are ICU admissions solely due to COVID. There are other people in Alberta ICUs not related, of course, to the pandemic. 760 Albertans have lost their lives to COVID-19. Meantime, a judge in Edmonton ruling yesterday that, that a dude that was trying to get 565 million bucks from the city of Edmonton doesn't have a case. That's right. Glenn D. Miller was told to beat it by a judge. My words, not the judges, after he tried to sue the city over its mandatory mask bylaw. Mr. Miller also wanted the city to announce publicly that it would educate itself on the true science and statistics of COVID-19, repeatedly calling the pandemic a hoax. The judge suggesting that this has no basis in law. Turns out the courts can get it right. It's good to see. And Aaron O'Toole, the leader of Canada's Conservatives, has issued this statement today, clarifying his remarks at Ryerson University around Canada's residential schools. You may remember Aaron O'Toole in speaking to young Conservative students on how to discuss residential schools and their legacy in Canada, suggested that they started as an attempt to educate and then got worse from there. Well, this morning... As you can see, he says the very existence of residential schools is a terrible stain on Canada's history. He says, I said at Ryerson University they were intended to try to provide education. It was not, says Aaron O'Toole, walking it back. He says the system was intended to remove children from the influence of their homes, families, traditions, and cultures. That from Aaron O'Toole. You can let me know what you think about that. I'm excited about our next guest, uh, April Prescott. Is she good to go, Sam? This is, uh, we saw, I saw something that stopped me in my tracks yesterday. And I can't remember if we were still on the air or we must have been just off the air. Uh, If you saw my interview yesterday with John Mark Earl and his son, Jeremiah, who joined him, by the way, uh, the two of these maniacs, and that's a compliment, uh, used axes to break through the ice on the Peace River, we don't recommend that you do this yourself. As a matter of fact, don't do this yourself. Uh, it was the one-year anniversary of the first time that John Mark Earl took an ice bath in the Peace River, and he took us literally into the water with him. It was wild, and he started to share his wisdom with us and his insights and tell us about why he does what he does. Well, it inspired our next guest. It inspired her to create a beautiful piece of art. Sam, can we call up the piece of art to discuss before we bring in April Prescott? Look at this. Look what she whipped up. Uh, She took a photo snapped by John's wife, and she quoted him. What we heard from him yesterday, look at this artistic interpretation. How beautiful is this? Some choices require us to embrace discomfort and to remain in control. Those things determine how we move through our life. 
Well, that's become my desktop background on my computer, which is, I think, the highest compliment I could possibly pay, maybe aside from having it painted as a mural here on the wall of the Real Talk studio, as we welcome artist and educator April we, Prescott. I'm, I'm gonna, uh, I, hate, I hate having to jump in right here. She's, I'm not getting her camera right now. Oh, so I'm just, okay. So just working on getting that's her okay. lined you know, up. No, yeah. that's fine for you to jump in. Sam I, is, I was trying to solve this in the intro so that we would just be able to get to her. But see, yeah. this is, see, this is how, because I didn't, I couldn't even tell that there was a problem because Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected over there behind the producer desk was was it was not indicating that there was any sort of an issue, so I couldn't tell. He wasn't sweating like all of the bachelors on The Bachelorette last night. Did anybody, my wife and I watch, I'm not embarrassed to tell you, we watched that show together. Anybody watching this right now that wants to chime in on that, that was the most disgusting thing that I've ever seen. They're at the La Quinta Resort and Spa uh, down in California, and there is something going on down there. I don't know. But those guys were dripping sweat. Sam Brooks not doing that this morning. All right. Let's get to the text line here. Let's get to our YouTube comments. Um, uh, Troy, uh, I've asked you what you thought about Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader's walk back of his comments on residential schools at Carleton University. Troy says, as somebody who never wants to see the conservatives regain power in Canada, I fully support Aaron O'Toole staying on as their leader. Okay, Judy says replace residential school with conservatives in Aaron O'Toole's statement. Judy says that does not qualify as an apology. Rose. I don't know what this means, Rose. I'm just making my way through the comments here. Rose says, Ryan, you're wearing purple today. It looks great. But is there a special occasion for that? Is uh, is there is that a thing? Um. This is probably this is probably not on your radar. I I don't know if a special occasion is happening today. Um, back in the day when I worked at the Journal, we had Purple Thursdays. Okay, so everybody everybody on staff. Senator Paula Simon still wears purple on Thursdays as an homage to her Journal days. I I'm kind of happy I didn't. I I went into my closet looking for my purple shirt this morning and and realized okay. it was in the wash. And All right. uh, I've done some googling here. Yeah. It says uh, uh, someone's going to help us out on YouTube. I'm sure somebody somebody will comment live. Uh, and let us know. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Interesting. Wearing purple, I've just Googled it, symbolizes royalty, grandeur, independence, wisdom, devotion, extravagance, pride, and creativity. Uh, it says the color purple can also symbolize arrogance. Interesting. Um, purple combines the stability of blue and the passion of red to be representative as the color of sexual frustration. What? April and I are both giggling at this, which is, which is to tell you that uh, she's ready to go. <laughs> she's ready to go. Okay. <laughs> but I got to figure this out. I got to figure out. What does it mean? Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I, Jespo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know. in on something here. It might just mean that someone liked your shirt. And that's just it. Well, that's, yeah. But no, but if she, if she just liked my shirt, she would say, hey, I like your shirt. She wouldn't say it looks great, but is there a special occasion for that? Like, what does that mean? If I was wearing brown, would you ask if there's a special occasion? If, if I was wearing blue, would you ask if there's a special occasion? <laughs> Why purple? She, Rose is in my head. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, I want to know, because if there's a movement today, like, for example, if it's like, if it's like, uh, yeah, Sturwald says sexual frustration. Sorry, but let me just say, and I, I respect my wife entirely, and I, and I wouldn't drag stuff like this into the conversation, but... Um, <laughs> I'm not wearing purple for that reason. Let me just say, uh, we're having a good, we're having a great week. That's we're having a great week. I don't know. Ken says maybe Jespo's got a Barney complex from his youth. 
Super Soulburn says maybe Jespo has a job interview after this. You know what a liberating feeling. Have, to have know you not? Have you not told me about something? What a, what a liberating feeling to know you'll never have another job interview. The only thing that we'll do is interview people that want to be part of this. I, I, I'm never I'm never going to have another job interview. I can't I cannot foresee a situation or a scenario. The audience is growing every single day. There's more. I'm, this is going to turn into. I'm, I'm not going to take this in this direction. I was going to start talking about sponsor increases, but but let me just say the indications on the landscape are that I will never have another job interview ever again in my life, and I can't tell you how exciting that is. I, we're so excited to have you on board for this. We've got to get to April. I don't want to just leave April hanging. But are, this, Sam, you and I sometimes we take a moment where we we're, do where we're having our hazy. Pay, oh, there's April. Yeah, there's Hi, April. April. <laughs> We're, we're having these moments, but this is actually a perfect segue. You could, but, but we're having these moments, Sam, where every once in a while we, we taste our hazy pale ale flavored coffees. <laughs> and you and I just look at each other and we go, what is going on with, with, the, with the audience interaction and the hashtag trending all the time? And, and the Podboard 100 recognizing us. By the way, we're back to number two in Canada today. Who knocked us off? Uh, he doesn't, they, didn't say who, they didn't say who knocked us off, but... Uh, it was spitting chicklets last time, knocked us yeah. off for one day. But you know what? If you would have said to us, hey, three and a half weeks into the new show, you're going to be ranked number two in Canada, I think we would have been okay with that. Uh, now we're disappointed because we're not number one like we were two days ago, but we'll get back there. Anyway, the all, post of, has moved a little all bit. of this to say, and I wish that we had Zoom capability on the camera right now because I'd look right in and I would just say, I love you, man. I do. And it's not just because I'm wearing purple. Let's get to April Prescott. I do... <laughs> I do match. She is like, what the hell have I gotten myself into this morning? April, I do match. Sam, if you could just dissolve into her art from yesterday. I do match your your artwork. I will say that. It was not entirely intentional, but you knocked our socks off with this illustration yesterday. April, welcome to the show. What prompted Thank what you. what has to happen for you? Obviously, an extremely talented artist to all of a sudden put down everything else you're doing and start with a new masterpiece like you did yesterday? Uh, well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me on. It was quite surprising when you slid into my DMs yesterday. <laughs> yeah, um, Quite literally, <laughs> Ryan held up his phone when you tweeted that picture and said, we're booking her tomorrow. Yeah, Like that, that was his only reaction. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I was at I was at work and I went to to my boss and I was like, "Hey, so uh I'm I'm being asked to be on this podcast tomorrow." And she's like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." But um yeah, uh I started doing this art as a way to process um some of the mental health stuff that I've been going through. So, to give a little bit of context, um I'm the inclusive education coordinator at Aboriginal Head Start here in Edmonton. Um, Aboriginal Head Start is a national program that provides um, preschool uh, services and wraparound family services to children who identify as First Nations, Métis, or Inuit. And uh, so as you uh, can well imagine, and I know you've had some educators on here already, that um, education during COVID is a whole different beast. And um, along with that, I was dealing just with some mental health stuff on my own, you know, living by myself, uh, feeling isolated and lonely and it was actually at the request of um one of my uh meditation teachers i myself am a meditation teacher and learning from him he said you know what why don't you try and find a creative outlet and i realized that i had taught preschool for 10 years prior to moving into administration and i realized that i didn't have a creative outlet anymore i used to go to work and 
you know, uh, create art with my children and, and just create experiences for them. And then you go to administration and you're creating, you know, spreadsheets and yeah. <laughs> so, and timelines and, and reports. So I had always, um, just was curious about digital design and art. And, uh, so I picked up the iPad and I Googled on YouTube how to draw on the iPad and I came up and it, there was this one tutorial where you utilize, um, pictures, uh, to create art with. And I don't know why I started with my dogs, my parents' dogs. And then I was just scrolling through Twitter and I came across, uh, Dr. Darren Markland. And I mean, he's a freaking rock star. And, and it just came, to, it honestly just came to me. I know it sounds woo woo, but I was just like, I got to draw this guy and I need to, and I need to highlight the work that he's doing. There he is. And so I found a quote of his and I uh, copied this photo that he had taken of himself and then I posted it and he loved it. And uh, so then I just started going from there and I just kept featuring more and more um Canadian uh, and or local healthcare professionals or healthcare workers. Um, I also highlighted uh, Dr. Ubaka. Uh, I like to think we're on a first name basis, but yeah, um, well, I think he'd be he, okay uh, with that. <laughs> yeah. And he's been so gracious and kind to me. I, I so um, just because of some of the work that he does around healthcare, um, maybe not necessarily as a healthcare worker, but um, in regards to the law. And uh, so I, it just kept going from there. And as I, um, so then I started taking requests. So people would, um, send me a DM or tag me, uh, or tag somebody that they felt was deserving of a shout out. And so this was just a way for me, honestly, to process my sadness during this very difficult time. So I could continue to show up for my staff and my families where I would go home at night. And I used to dread going home. I, I get filled up by being around people. And this has been a very difficult time. And I would, I would honestly like, I also commute by my, on my, my bicycle. So I have that in common with Dr. Darren and I'd be riding home and literally like crying on my way home. Like I don't want to go home. And now I can't wait to leave the office because I'm so excited to draw things and to, oh my gosh. and because I really want to just bring a smile to not only people's faces, but people's hearts, because this is such a difficult time right now. So I, and I chose healthcare workers because let's be honest, like they got a shitty job right now. And, um, I have a few friends who are, are nurses and I check in one of them often. And, and so that's really how all of this started. And then I saw the interview yesterday and I saw that amazing picture and I just had to, I just felt compelled to draw it. Well, you just, you blew me away. And, and there's, um, uh, there's an artist, uh, Sam down in Calgary. Uh, I feel like a dummy right now that I can't, her last name's escaping me. Sam from, from the sprawl, um, not you, Sam Brooks. The others. Do you remember? She she illustrated our conversation with with. Um, we'll remember it. Yes, and we'll give her the shout out she deserves. But but th- yeah, I follow her on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. she's she's like amazing. Sam Hester. Is Sam Hester. Thanks, Sam. Hester. Yeah. Thanks, Brooksy. And uh, <laughs> so Sam Hester did that, and then you you illustrated the interview from yesterday, and I'm like, well, this is just this is becoming a thing. And what we're realizing is we're going to need more wall space because we need to blow up a print of what you did. Can you can you bring up the Darren Markland illustration that, that April did again? I wanted to read this. This is this is like his words are incredibly powerful. And I love how you've pulled the quote here, uh, April. You're in the spaces between words and the pause between the next breath exists the possibility that there may not be another that we are finite and fleeting. That has a powerful insight from an ICU doctor. 
Do you have, mm-hmm. with, with regards to your process, have you always been the type of person? I'm, I, I am this type of person. This is my old vintage floppy disk notebook. Uh, the cover's an nice. old floppy disk. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I always have a notebook near to me because my grandpa Stan used to do this, Stan Jesperson. He was a, one of the publishers of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce magazine. He was a storyteller, a great storyteller himself. And he'd always have uh, pieces of paper with, that, that would look a lot like this. Uh, this is my evidence with, with, with scrawled things all over them. And, and he would keep notes and he'd write down, he would, he would keep, like if someone said something, that resonated. Are you about to show me something? If someone, uh, if, well, I was going to, but yeah, if someone, if someone would say something that would resonate with him, he would, he would grab a pencil or grab a pen and write down that quote and reflect yes. on it and then reflect on it again later. Are you that type of person? Yeah. So on my phone, I use Google keep and I literally take notes from everything, whether I'm listening to a podcast or in a meditation class, I also have multiple different journals at home, um, depending on what, I'm looking to record. Um, I also have a really crappy memory. I played rugby for 20 years and I've had more concussions than I can count. (laughs) And, and uh, I've also had five surgeries. So that's also kind of my love affair with, with the medical profession. I like to think that if I didn't hate throwing up so much, I would have been a nurse or a doctor and, and that kind of stuff just fascinates me. So I just, I, I like to see myself in this world. I always knew I'd be an educator of some form, but my best skill is taking the information from others and translating it into different formats. So whether that's uh, educational research, whether that's uh, information around contemplative practices, um, whether that's um, I'm a, I'm trained in trauma informed practices for educators. Um, and I always try to approach life um, through the lens of like, uh, we're not great communicators and sometimes uh, what we want to say gets lost in translation and um, just picking up the stylus and the iPad and being able to find an artistic creative way for me to simply, all I'm doing is, is expressing my, turning my sadness, my melancholy into happiness. And if that creates happiness on the other end of somebody else. So that's really my goal. But yes, I am a collector of words and thoughts. I I saw that my older sister was actually in the chat. Um, So you could probably ask her that she would be able to say the same thing that I'm, I'm kind of like a crow that way I would go around and collect things that um, had meaning to me, it doesn't matter if it has meaning to anybody else. But when I was scrolling through Twitter, and I'm seeing the absolutely amazing work that these people are doing, um, oh, here's another legend. Yeah, I mean, Dr. She's Lenora. A, she's a rock star. <laughs> uh, Dr. Lenora, actually, the second. Do you, do you realize? I don't know if this is this is not lost on me. Every single illustration we've seen of yours so far has been a guest on Real Talk in our first three weeks. Um, Dr. Lenora Saxinger was on our very first day, right after Mayor Don Iveson. Sam, can we see that one yeah. again? I love that one. Uh, what does she say? Time to get gritty. Uh, roll up our collective sleeves. Focus and do the things we know are needed what a great quote that's like a that's a call to action right there so i um if sam checks your email i sent you guys a gift a gift yeah oh, wow are we going to be able to see this in real time we'll yeah see. you are all right there you go this gift oh wow what's right, this look at your monitor dude <laughs> what <laughs> what is this not afraid That's to you. have the conversations. Wow. You've given me a magnificent beard. Yeah. And, and you've been very generous on my hairline, too. And then here's Sam Brooks. <laughs> we are just getting started. This is, this is absolutely incredible. This April, is awesome. this is April. so cool. 
Wow. Uh, I get uncomfortable when people give me gifts. I get all self-conscious and embarrassed. I always, I always wanted, I always wanted to be the one that like opened birthday gifts in the closet when nobody was watching. Thank you. That's that's absolutely incredible. I just think it's, I think it's in, um, you know, our our brains are wired towards negativity, and that's a survival nature. And especially in this time where we are constantly bombarded and surrounded by that, I, one of my roles at work is they call me the COVID cop. I'm the one that you know is in charge of health and safety here at our organization, and so I have to do all this research and and you know, paying attention to what's going on and it can become very heavy on the system and, it, and it's difficult for us to filter out. And um, one way to mitigate that is to give to and, and to show gratitude. And I just wanted to show gratitude for um, what both of you are doing. You're giving a stage, you're passing the mic, you're giving opportunities um, for people to share their stories in a way that, that um, you know, like you're not trying to speak for people, you're allowing people to speak for themselves. And and I think by doing that, that we are just, um, you guys are also contributing to bringing community together, which is so important at a time like this. So um, that's, uh, you know, my gift to you. I think that you guys need to be um, honored and represented in what you're providing for um, the community across Canada. Well, uh, we... Uh... We accept that gift with with humility. And April, I'm just I'm blown away. I'm just I'm I'm reading. Uh, you're you're probably not reading all the comments right now because you're talking to us. But let me. Re I mean, yeah. Scott Scott's watching, and he says elevating regular Albertans is a great formula that I think Real Talk has stumbled upon. Um, let me say this uh, to Scott and everybody else. Um, <laughs> to, if I can get, we we don't have to have April. I don't want to make you uncomfortable by keeping you up on the split screen because I'm about to throw a couple hand grenades. I'm about to communicate okay. with my flamethrower for a second. But let me just say this: um, there was this understanding in Alberta that became very evident. Um, and I'm just gonna here's some real fucking talk. All right, when I was suspended in September and when I was fired later that month, it was because politicians and corporations went to a multi-billion-dollar company and said we will pull our business and we won't do interviews with you unless you fire this guy and the multi-billion dollar corporation bent over backwards to accommodate the concerns of wealthy people that had their own special interests in mind and so it was not lost on me that i don't need the big interviews with the big powerful politicians if they're not going to give them to us because the people want to have conversations that matter and the people deserve the platform and the microphone and the people hold the power and so if the politicians and the corporations some of them want to get together and, and have a big back scratching circle on how powerful they are in controlling Canadian media they better pay attention to what's going on right now with this audience because guess what we're giving people voices that demand to be heard that deserve to be heard and that have not been heard in past and it is not some sort of like Scott just said maybe we stumbled upon it I mean this is this is a strategy to make sure that people that deserve voices have voices, but this should not be something new. This is what storytelling should be. This is the way it should be, and talk radio has been broken for a long time, and we're just here to do what we can to try to fix it. It's not reinventing the wheel. We're just talking to people, and we're keeping it real, and we're going to keep doing it.
and April, I just love what you're doing with your art. We're seeing more and more. Sam, Sam keeps up putting more and more examples. These are these are these what what you are doing. A April sent me like twelve files, so are, we got to get through all of them. These <laughs> are like, I mean, I even see Dr. Amy Tan there. That we we just talked to Dr. Tan. Sam, can you put that one up again? That's a beautiful image, Dr. Tan. Uh, April, as you probably know, was on the show just a few days ago to talk to us about yeah, why I saw her she, there. she left yeah. Alberta. She said she she intended on retiring in Alberta. She intended on uh, enjoying her entire career in Alberta, but she moved to Victoria with her family. Uh, she's a palliative care and family care physician there because of what was going on here. I mean, another powerful story. And But you are immortalizing these people. I mean, these are iconic images. Well, you just said the same thing um, through you guys giving a voice to other people that this is my way. I, not everybody communicates in the same way and not everybody receives information in the same way. And and art is, is another pathway into the mind. It's an opportunity for me to amplify the voices of these doctors who really need to be heard. Let's be honest. They've been let down by this government and I, and I'm not about to get political. I'm the worst person to get political, but um, as an educator, we, we have also been let down. And if it means that I go home and I sit on my couch and process something that means something to me, that then means something to these people, but also amplifies it. I mean, I have a very small following on Twitter. I'm not doing this for the likes. I'm not doing this for the following. Not anymore. I'm doing this to... That, that, that will change <laughs> after today. I'm just giving this... I really just am truly on the same page as you guys of, of amplifying voices that need to be heard. And I, I'm looking forward to... Um, I'm going to continue my healthcare worker um, collection, but I think my next collection is going to be educators because let's oh, be honest, yeah. they have been completely ignored during this um, pandemic and they are struggling and it honestly feels like nobody is listening. Um, so they're going to be my next. So if people want to, I, I mean, people can DM me um, if they want to nominate someone that they think um, would uh, gain a smile and a warm heart from something that I can create, um, they, they can absolutely reach out. And I have a, I have such that. a selfish, I have such a selfish suggestion, uh, that, okay. that you perhaps illustrate Steven Anderson, who was on, uh, just a few days ago on the show, he was, yeah. he was, he was talking about, he, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's, he's a, a, a millwright, a journeyman millwright, a fourth generation millwright, which is amazing. Uh, his great grandfather yeah. was a millwright and all the way down, um, he's worked in the oil field. He's worked in refineries. He's done all this. And then now he's a teacher and he's very passionate about how mm -hmm. he feels. Um, but I'm being selfish because I only want to see how you illustrate his big, huge red beard. I just think that yeah, he's I mean, he's on the list, so I'll definitely be, make sure that would be incredible. I'll send you guys that one. That would be incredible. <laughs> well, April, I, I I apologize in advance because you're about to get slammed with requests because we're gonna right now direct people to your Twitter at the underscore let uh, number eight underscore elements the underscore eight underscore elements and then of course you're on Instagram as well at eight underscore elements april prescott an artist an educator an engaged citizen and what a talent thank you for making time for and thanks to your boss for, for letting you take this time because we were like you have to be <laughs> you have to be on the show i'll let her know i'll let her know yeah. <laughs> thanks april and thanks for being a member of this uh this audience we, we really value you here Thank you. Continue to do what you guys are doing. And uh, if I can be of service to you, please let me know. I love it. Well, we're just going to keep following your artwork. You just keep inspiring us. Uh, it has an impact on us in the same way that it impacts you. I can say that sincerely. Amazing. Thank April you. April Prescott. That is so cool. Make sure you give her a follow. <laughs> Look at that. Like, that's not even fair. She's being, that is very, that is a very flattering image. <laughs> like, that is like, you know, my beard. Like, that is like a, wow. 
I mean, like, anyway, what can I say? And you're you're looking, you, you kind of look like an NFL quarterback there. Very broad shoulders. She, yeah, she I'm not. You, I'm not bad with it. Yeah, I'm gave, not disliking that. You're it's, a uh, like you're a fit guy, Sam. Don't take it, but like she made you moderately. Look, mm-hmm. She made she she gave you a jawline of a Greek god, <laughs> which is not bad. That's not bad at all. Uh, Jess on our on our live uh, on our live uh, YouTube comment stream says uh, says uh, I, Jess just says I love this so much. Independent media is taking off, and it is so good. It really is. It is, and I, I want to spend too much time talking about this, but like, uh, they don't know what to do about it. The establishment is trying to make sense of this, and the establishment doesn't know what to do about it, which is just, I. What can I say? It warms the cockles of my heart. It really, really does. If you're looking to make a move, and I'm not actually talking like esoteric, I'm not speaking, I'm talking like actually physically you're going to move. Maybe through all of this, you've been like, we don't need this huge property. We're going to liquidate. We're going to downsize. Or, hey, maybe you just found out you're pregnant. Maybe you're going to need another bedroom. I don't know. Whatever the case is, Alta Moving and Storage has you covered. So here's the deal. You need some long-term storage. Maybe you're going to renovate your place. Maybe you're going to finally tackle that basement project. You need to get some stuff out of the way for a while. Maybe you've just inherited uh, Granny's dining room set and you want to keep it, but you don't have room for it right now. They've got short and long-term storage solutions, but they've also got those pod-style containers if you want to make the move, here's the thing. Uh, gone are the days of the moving truck showing up Saturday at 8 a.m. and everybody's got to scramble because the moving truck's got to get across town before 4. Forget about it. The pod-style container, they drop it off at your house. If you want the frog boxes, those eco-friendly moving boxes, they've got those too. Or you can use your own. doesn't matter. You know, the world is your oyster, my friends. They drop it off. You fill that pod-style container. They'll move it for you. They can unload it if you want, or you can do it yourself. See? Flexibility. It's what you get with the local solutions found at Alta Moving and Storage. You can check them out online, and, of course, we link to it under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Sam, I'm, I'm just doing a quick read-through to make sure that we thank all of our sponsors today, and we have. We have, because we'd have to, have to walk that back like I did earlier with Local Waste. Local Waste, your 25-year operating locally owned solution to waste management. Could, could you say that name a couple could more you, times? Local I, Waste. I don't think people got it. What, just, what do they do? If you're tuning in and you're wondering what the hell's going on, I, I, I forgot to mention Local Waste yesterday. And they were, by the way, super cool about it. They were like, don't sweat it, Jespo. You got us. I said, oh, I'll, get, I'll get you tomorrow. I'll make it up for you. Wanted to let you know, friends, that tomorrow's show is going to be a good one. Uh, you've obviously heard that the federal government, uh, by way of the prime minister's announcement on the carbon tax, is, is taking stronger action toward Canada's environmental commitments. What does it mean for Alberta? We're going to ask the federal environment and climate change minister, the Honorable Jonathan Wilkinson, will join us out of the gates tomorrow at 835 and then a roundtable, a real talk roundtable from 9 to 10 with three powerful voices on what we can actually do about discrimination in our society. We're going to get real on it. And that starts tomorrow at 8.30. We'll talk to you then.